0: Hello, hello everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Aid Radio, hope you're doing well. What do we have on your philosophy buffet tonight? Well, why are people religious? What are the benefits of being religious? That was the question that the first listener posed to me, and it's a really enjoyable topic for me, with I, I have sort of newfound appreciation for it, so we had a good chat about that. The second caller you may have occasionally in your life, I know I have, had challenges with motivation. And this guy wants to know, how can he really make a go of his life and commit fully to all that he wants to achieve and all that he feels he's uh, capable of? Third question, sort of an international historical question, many benefits of Western imperialism. But if we defend the benefits of Western imperialism, aren't we kind of defending limited government? And of course, that is uh, a big challenge, right? If you praise the effects of a certain institution, does that mean you praise... The institution as a whole, it's a good, good question. And the last caller was um, very interesting with regards to, he said, you know, in history there have been philosophers, self-proclaimed atheists like Ayn Rand and Friedrich Nietzsche who championed the ideas of free will from both the church and the state. And uh, he grew this into a critique of modern atheist secularism, which I found quite compelling and which stimulated a really, really great discussion. So um, remember, 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 the 5th of November and com slash donate to help out our show, as well as fdrurl.com slash Amazon to when you go shopping, help us out with that as well. It doesn't cost you anything. So without any further ado, let's get it on.
1: All right. Well, first today is Ian. He wrote in and said, I was born to a Christian homeschooling family with many similar families around me for my formative years. Not all, including my own, were intentionally practicing peaceful parenting, but compared to the general populace I see around me, they provided something close to it. So my question is, was my community's decision purely for religious reasons, or was it a K reaction to an ever-increasing R environment? How much of religious thinking is K's using non-empirical methods to justify some of what they know is wrong, but do not have the data for? I know you talked about this before, but am I right in assuming that R versus K theory have somewhat decent explanation for my parents' and friends' family's behaviors from a non-religious point of view, or am I just rationalizing typical religious behavior with the wrong theory? That's from Ian.
0: Oh, hey, Ian. How are you doing today? I'm doing
1: good. Thank you, Steph.
0: Thank you. I would like to think I'm doing good, too. Uh, doing well. So um, what was your upbringing uh like in terms of peaceful parenting and stuff?
2: Well,
3: I mean I was spanked a few times as a kid, but I noticed it practically stopped like I I really don't remember beyond a handful of moments. And I know my parents pretty much never did it with my sisters. They're too younger than me. So and they also tried the reason and teach me a lot of stuff. They let me pretty much read a lot of things. <laughs> That was probably why my biggest struggle as a kid was my parents trying to get me to read. But once I did, I just started reading everything and they let me read whatever I wanted. And that's how I eventually learned about voluntarism through a certain writer called uh, uh, Richard Mayberry. But I know. Oh, right, right. What
0: happened to Penny Candy, right? Yeah, that was the book that sent me down the path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the late Harry Brown used to talk about him quite a bit in his show.
3: Yeah, no, he was a great man. He did a lot of work. Because it showed up, I grabbed as many books as I could at homeschool
0: fair conventions. But the general question is: I actually, sorry, I just, I actually interviewed him. Oh. Uh, in Phoenix um, for a Casey conference a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, very nice man. righty. So
3: I just noticed when I got college age and I went out that I was, I didn't have a typical upbringing. I'll just put that much. I noticed I was not in. The world was not what I had around me, including me, the families around me, because the, how much do you know about the Christian homeschooling movement in the United States?
0: I would uh, hesitate to say, uh, I'm sure you know it a lot better than I do.
3: Well, I was in the Midwest part of it, so and my mom actually was a big part of the organization community in my region, but it was kind of, everyone said for religious purposes, but I noticed most of it was around that they just wanted to teach their kids the way they wanted to. Even though they said it was for religion, that wasn't the only reason. And there was some non-religious families in it. And I was wondering, since many of these people were from higher educated backgrounds, but they disagreed with the ever-increasing leftist propaganda, That was this a reaction of, I guess, K-type thinkers and trying to find some place to hide and the homeschooling movement basically fought their way legally to get that freedom. At least in the history of the United States, it was actually someone illegal. My, my current state actually had a fight of it about 20 to 30 years ago and we won it. So, right. so I'm just, that's what I'm thinking is this was just a reaction trying to make a community or subculture that survived since the majority culture was starting to be
0: hostile well, and considerably hostile, too, right? I mean, for, for a lot of the... What are the values that your parents wanted you to absorb that they did not feel they were going to get through the public school system? Or, or was it mostly around... Yeah, what were the values? The values, you could say religious, but pretty much just
3: open thinking, not critical critical thought somewhat was, because they're both highly educated. One is an engineer, master's, in other words, is a master's in mathematics, so... But I think it was more that they felt they couldn't teach me their religious views in the environment. But also, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm religious, but it really wasn't that. They just wanted to teach what they had learned as kids. And they saw in the public schools that, at least they saw the foreshadowing in the 70s and 80s when they were in it that. Most of them were not good anymore, and that was how long ago
0: now? Oh, you mean the the public schools weren't good anymore?
3: Yeah, they already knew that there was issues with them, and my mom actually saw uh, racism against whites in the South when she was with my grandpa. He's a former Army colonel, so she hopped around a lot. And when they were in Louisiana, they saw racism against whites, actually. Do you uh, remember any examples of that? Uh, that was just her down there. Um, basically, when they were just how the, even the cops and the police would sometimes even mistreat some of the military personnel just because they didn't like them. It was there's former South hatred to to the Northerners that fit. You know the whole Civil War fault still at someone in Louisiana, but it was also just like they would. Uh, sort of everything that was suggested against the whites did through the KKK actually was done against people from the North or were not of the community. And if they're particularly, my mom, when she was in the schools, she was the only white kid, so they treated her like everyone you would suspect would (laughs) if it's a different person from a different culture and a different color. Right.
0: Right. So was it... um Secularism. Oh, it's a combination of secularism, general incompetence, and anti-white racism that your parents were concerned about. Were there other factors as well?
3: I think not so much the secularism or the racism, but more of a distrust that the education system would actually not really care about us. I don't think they ever espoused that, but looking back and why many families around me did or were entering the homeschool family community, it was they knew the system didn't care about the kids. And they couldn't espouse that. They weren't sure, but culture pressures, but they knew it. I I looked at all the families. I remember that's why we were all homeschooling is we didn't trust the system. It was not, its goal was not to educate. That's why I came up, I thought the R versus K Somewhat what made sense as they already knew that the whole idea of it was not to actually make a better, smarter populace, but to keep it down indirectly.
0: Yeah, government unions were never supposed to uh, exist. And uh, people don't really get that because they've been such a part of sort of the modern world. But unions were supposed to be something to countervail against the profit desire of the capitalist. And um, because in the free market there's competition and the capitalists want to make a whole bunch of money and there's a profit motive, the unions were considered to be necessary to countervail the capitalist profit motive. However, in the government, that's not supposed to be an issue because there's no profit motive, no profit driver, no competition really for government services, so uh, FDR, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, hero of the left, although not so much of uh, people living in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, he he said like well, you can't have unions in the government because if you have unions in the government, there's no no end to what they'll be able to demand. So the Democrat, the Democrats, who we now you know are totally captured by the government unions, were initially very much against government unions and it's kind of how it went with the um uh, with the unions as a whole in the 60s they started they started losing uh private sector of workers uh, because you know people realized you know good pay good benefits and so on would would is a better way people want to avoid conflicts with the unions and so they started shifting over to the public sector and it was really only like all the stuff we associate with government schools now like uh oh you know these guys have tenure you can't fire them and so on all of that is uh, very new, very new indeed, and at least you know a couple of gen- a generation and a half or so. It was only in the '60s that in America it became really impossible to fire teachers, and that's when things really started uh, to uh, to decline. And that also, like the the um, the end of segregation uh, in America, which of course I didn't like because it was a government program, but it did bring a lot of relatively uneducated or poorly educated blacks into the white school system. Which meant that the white school curriculum had to change to adapt to this new situation. And this is something that American educators are still struggling with um, in terms of integration uh, for reasons that we've had the IQ experts on to talk about a bunch of times. So, yeah, it's kind of new and fairly horrifying, uh, this stuff to do with uh, government unions. So um, I just really wanted to point that out. And I guess your parents uh, were old enough to have seen some of that transition. Is that fair to say?
3: Yeah, I think they did because it was about the time, from what you give me from the timeline, that they could have seen the first hand effects, and they said, "No, I don't want to be involved with this." And they had the financial means to actually not do it. But that's right. Yeah, I guess though one of the things though have I probably another question I was trying to work in with this, but it didn't quite work was related more and particularly though to the religious side of the homeschool movement like um, Christianity at least the type that is a big part of this the movement at least to this point has had some let's just say some of the church readers are trying to figure out why particularly people like my age in the 20s don't buy into religion even though they've been basically prevented from the secularist indoctrination of the public schools, though some of that's more just the state, not really what the Christians fear. And I think the main thing I've learned is that I think I just saw reality once I was able to go out, go to college for a bit, then do some stuff, join the National Guard. Uh, I trust my state more than my federal government. But I saw that there was religion didn't just it didn't explain things the way they they said it did. It just didn't explain things. And the the church still doesn't seem to understand that. (laughs) I don't know. It's it's hard to describe why even though I came from a background I should be of that I don't think that way. I don't buy into it. I'm still not trying to... You mean buy into religion? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what... I pretty much just know it... The penny candy sowed, you could say, the seed for me, the question religion on the basis of why do I need to vote this way to stop people from behaving this way, instead of why not let people voluntarily decide what they want to do. That's what has always bugged me about the religious, I guess, say right part of Christ, of the United States Christian movement, is I'm just, I don't know why they think, I don't know, it's hard to describe.
0: I'm sorry, I, I, I appreciate some of what you're saying, but I got to get to a question here. Yeah, I got, okay. I guess the question is,
3: can... The modern church in the United States really recognized that its usefulness is over for the Western world. Because it, it doesn't seem to.
0: The modern church realized that its usefulness is over for the Western world?
3: Well, more of, I don't know, it's, I'm trying to understand why people who are highly educated, like my parents and such, can understand all of that and basically make her a somewhat rational... Sorry, you can understand all of what? Can understand the rational decision to leave this public school system, but it, but more of use religion to as their excuse.
0: I guess that's the whole R versus K type, is why well. I, I don't. I'm sorry, I, I don't understand. I'm really I'm trying to grasp what you're saying here. Mm-hmm. I'm not having any luck yet. So they uh, they understand a whole bunch of stuff. And yet they are religious. How is it? It's the question: How can highly educated people be religious? Somewhat, and I guess have a
3: kid that isn't religious, even though they gave him everything to be religious.
0: Well, there's free will, right? You can, yeah, you can choose, right?
3: I don't know. It's just it's very hard to just talk to my family and friends from that background because they just don't understand, I guess. I don't know. I guess more of it's... They they freed me from one indoctrination source but then indoctrinated
0: me with another. You mean with regards to religion? They freed you from statism or kept you away from the state? Yeah. But they gave you more... In terms of religion, right? Yeah. So from one monster to another. But that's, you know, tragically, that's the world, right, as it stands. That's the world as it stands because um, people are constantly hopping from one belief system to another. hmm And it is very hard for people to give up having a socially acceptable belief set. I mean, you know, it's pluses and minuses to it all, but it's very hard for people to give up the tribalism of common thinking. There's so many benefits to it, right? You go to a new town, you don't know anyone, but if you're part of a church, you go to that church and you meet people and you get introductions and you can um, get a job. Or you can meet a girl. You can, you know, find people to play pinocle with or whatever you're, you're into, right? Mm-hmm, yes. So this sort of instant community that can i don't want to say instant like it's bad but this sort of um, uh, way in which you can get a community by going someplace new i don't know if you've ever moved to a new place if you're not in school and uh you know in school you can meet people and at work you can meet some people although as you get older it becomes pretty tough to meet people at work because they have well they have kids They (laughs) they have lives they they're busy right and especially if you're a single guy. So there's so much that's efficient about the just-add-proximity community that it's hard for people to, you know, this is not just for religion. If you're some communist and you go to some new place and there are a bunch of communists around, well, lickety-split, you have your good friends, the communists. And um, so this... Way, a way of finding uh, to, to connect to people, a way of finding ways to connect to people happens through values. Now, if you strike off in a new direction, let's say you reject statism, you reject religion, you, you reject uh, you know, socialism. If you, if you strike off in a new direction, then you go to a new town and who do you hang with? Who do you meet? Who do you know? Or you're at work, and you have you know maybe awkward conversation. what happens? How does it work for people when there's no particular common beliefs, which is why striking out in a in a new belief is so particularly tough, and why people you know they they don't want to leave old beliefs uh without adopting some new belief um usually irrational, in the same way that shaky swimmers don't want to get too far away from the shore right i mean it's uh it's just it's a very tough thing for for people to do. So, um, yeah, I, um, I can certainly understand how it comes about. And, um, the fact that you've gone in a different direction is cool. Uh, and I think speaks to, you know, curiosity, integrity, intelligence. You probably spent a lot of your time looking for something that makes sense. Yes. And yeah, like, what is it that makes sense? What, what beliefs can I absorb or accept that don't require Nail biting compromises um, like give me a belief system that i don't have to hold my nose and swallow like some sort of bad medicine for a good effect, so you had this hunger for consistency and and we do we have a hunger for consistency for for being able to make sense of things logically for things being able to hang together i mean that's the whole conceptual strength and genius of the species is this capacity to have things hang together and make sense. That's why we have science, why we have numbers, why we have engineering, uh, why we have medicine, at least uh, uh, after the 18th and uh, 19th centuries. So we're born with this desire to conceptualize and and unify and clarify. And some people have, I guess we could say, a stronger desire for it than others, if that makes sense.
1: hmm
3: It does. And That's probably one of the reasons why... Grew to question a lot of things and I don't handle <laughs> personal cognitive dissonance that well. So eventually I had to go- question the fundamentals of even Christianity when it came to, around to the whole 6,000 years. I started seeing a lot of the hard data and about the Big Bang and all that. And I went, uh, yeah... It took a while, though. I mean, it took almost, I think, a decade and a
0: half. But the data just kept saying otherwise. And how is your emotional experience? Uh, you you come across to me, like I'm trying to sort of stay involved in the conversation, but yeah. you've kind of got a monotone thing. And I, I'm just curious what your emotional experience is of the fruits of your intellectual curiosity and desire for consistency. Oh, sorry for the monotone.
3: Uh, it's, I guess it's frustrating. Twofold. One, the religion, and the other, because of the background I told you about, I kind of got up to see what the world really was. And I guess being horrified is maybe even a little too weak of a word for it. I didn't realize how bad it was outside of the community I was in. How bad? What was the whole world around me? That they didn't have anything
0: I had. Just even though I had. Oh, you mean because you were raised more peacefully than you're out there among the traumatized muggles, and it's uh, a it's a it's a slog, right?
3: I had multiple nuclear families around me, Steph, and I realized that was not common. It took me a while, but once I realized it, it it scared
0: me. Right. Yeah, you know, just by the by, um, uh, my daughter was at a friend's place and they watched uh, the, the the Charlie Brown movie. And I, I used to read a lot of Charlie Brown when I was a, a kid and uh, found it very charming but kind of scary because it is uh, a world without adults, right? And to me, it's not an accident that this strip arose, I think, in the late 60s or early 70s during the feminist wave, during the first wave of feminism, during the, you know, abandon your male chauvinist pig of a husband and you know go make out with uh hippie sculptors on queen street like when the first family breakups were occurring uh, there was this peanuts cartoon where there were no adults around and the the peer relationships were always out of control and um and everybody was dissatisfied in in love and everybody was uh, and i found lucy in particular pretty terrifying character (laughs) monstrous narcissist (laughs) but um that, that is, you know, that, that kind of story where there are no adults and you have to struggle uh, with, with peer relationships that are always ultimately unsatisfying was a pretty terrifying uh, story. And I just, when you were talking about this, this world without adults, this, this lost boys, this Lord of the Flies world without adults that a lot of people are uh, dealing with, uh, I think it's really common. You know, it's a single mom thing, right? Single moms have no time have no time if they've got a job right i mean they have no time for uh for anything uh very little time to parent. it's always just one big conveyor belt after another of stuff to do having relaxed and unstructured time seems to be virtually uh, it's close to impossible with single moms particularly if they have more than one kid which is why they become these grabbing resource vampires i mean it's just struggling to to stay afloat and so yeah when you went from nuclear family stuff then what happens is you go out into an untutored world, into a world where there was a, a writer, I can't remember who, who wrote this. Oh, yeah, Henrik Heine, um, the, um, the, uh, the German writer. He said, you know, I had distant parents and like all people with distant parents, like all children I, with distant parents, I raised myself, most, mostly myself, and did a pretty bad job of it, as is inevitable, or just to paraphrase. And the degree to which we have a highly fragile, untutored, unmentored, unparented set of kids in society is kind of shocking to, to see when you get out there, right? Yeah, it is. It, and they don't even know because there's so many, it seems normal to them.
3: Yeah, no, no, it does. I, I hear conversations that in my old communities would be shocking and People would go, what? But what are you talking about? But to many of these people, the whole concept of a loving parent, two of them, and just that you that you weren't spanked or abused or had multiple bad things happen to your kid. Just, no, you had you had childhood. You had childhood friends. You ran around. You had fun. That that's, seems to be only what I got and a few of my close friends I still have, but not many of the other people
0: I met. Yeah, it's the desperate, loveless showman that I remember very much from when I was a kid. Like, you could see the kids who'd never been loved, who'd never been nurtured, who'd never been invested in, who'd never really been cared for. Because the girls went hypersexual, like, I don't know what love is, so I'm going to gain your attention with, you know, tight jeans and halter tops and, and all this kind of stuff. And then I'm going to resent you for the attention that you provide me because it's a remain, reminder of my neglect and humiliation. So you, the girls go sexual and the guys go, like a lot of them just kind of went like stupid tricks. <laughs> and that is really tragic. Like I remember the, the, the craziest that went through the schools that I was in, I went to a variety of schools. The crazes that, that that kids went through, like paper airplanes, and we going to get experts in paper airplanes. And then there was conquerors, which was like chestnuts with strings, and you'd fight them with each other. And um, break dancing, who cause who's a good break dancer? That became like a big thing. And uh, Rubik's cube, and you know various video games. And although you couldn't, because you, back then video games had to be attached to your TV, you couldn't really show people. I guess like you can now. But it's like it's never look at me and interact with me. It's let me try and dazzle you with something that I've done.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that is um, that is a tragic and desperate existence to be in. Um, how do I get people interested in me? Right? Uh, can I can I be a great skateboarder? You know? Can I dye my hair green? Can I? You know, can I find some connection through music with other girls in kabuki, pasty white makeup, carrying little coffin purses with dyed black hair and black lipstick? Like, can I find some tribe where I can merge my emptiness into? Can I have a cool car? Can I, you know, do I have, like, I I had a friend when I was a kid, um, you know, we lived in crap places, as you can imagine, right? Just rent-controlled, roach-infested flea, flea traps. And one of my friends, his parents just moved into this cool house, and he had, like, one of these attic rooms that I always loved those rooms. I don't know if you live like, triangle rooms, kind of. They have this sloping ceiling. Yeah. And it's really cozy. You know, there's attic rooms up at the top of the house. a window or two, and it was – I just – you had a mattress on the floor, like a futon on the floor. It was really cool. I loved that place. Envy. Envy. I remember uh, I wrote a play um, for uh, my drama class. And when we were rehearsing, we were another friend's parents. were fantastically wealthy. It was room after room after room. And, uh, you know, I just wandered through a green with envy. I also remember, ah, uh, this is back in the early 80s, I guess. There was... Um, a school trip to Russia, if you can believe it, right? So the middle of the Cold War is a school trip to Russia. like I think it was like $1,500, which back then was a huge sum. It's pretty large even now. There was no possibility of being able to um, – there's no possibility whatsoever. I mean, I, I had three jobs at the time. It was just to stay afloat. But I just remember all the kids who got to go to Russia in 1982 or whatever, and it's like, wow, I'd, oh, I'd love to have gone, but – there was uh, there was no money, no time, so when you don't have intimacy, then you have little choice but to use the blurring chopsticks of sex or inconsequential tricks mm-hmm. to generate envy and desire. How do you have value? will you stimulate envy in other people? How do you have value? Will you stimulate sexual or romantic desire? In other people and then you don't have value but other people want you and that's a pretty pathetic but it seems inevitable substitute for actually having value
5: Hmm.
3: yeah i guess more of i've been trying to figure understand where I, I interact with people from here like i mean i can have good conversations and talk to people but trying to realize that many of them around me are just I'm an alien in the country, it's not the other way around, and really, what to do when most people's self-interest is, like most, about themselves, but they are not even developed
0: or taught at all. But you know exactly what to do. I'm sorry, Ian, you know exactly what to do, you just don't want to do it. And you know exactly what to do. I'm not sort of trying to be difficult or, or trap you or trick you. You know exactly what to do because you were raised by people who benefited from other people 2,000 odd years ago who knew exactly what to do. Yeah. Which is to commit. Yeah. Right? Those early Christians, pretty committed. Right? I mean, they got eaten by lions, they got crucified, they got strung up. A lot of it was their own fault because they would go up and down the avenue of, um, of temples and, and say that all the other, all the other gods are devils and ours is the only true God. And this, you know, diversity was not a strength right. <laughs> in early Christianity, to put it mildly. These people were committed. Mm-hmm. You know, why are there so many Mormons? Because Mormons are committed. Two years in Africa teaching people about Mormonism. They are committed. Priests, especially Catholic priests, celibacy, they're committed. I mean, imagine if, <laughs> just imagine, imagine if I said something like this, man. Okay, everybody. Time to get committed to philosophy, and that means after high school, but before college, you spend two years as a street evangelist for reason. Go out there with your copies of UPB and yell at people and cajole people and invite people and engage people, get them into philosophical conversation. You've got to spend two years doing this. You've got to pay for it yourself, and you've got to do it 12 hours a day. No breaks, no holidays, and wear a catheter.
2: Oh, dear. What would people say?
3: They would would say all crazy sort of things, like, who are these people? What are they doing?
0: Right. So if people who were into philosophy had, say, one-tenth of one percent of the commitment of, say, Mormons, or of the Jehovah's Witnesses who come and knock on your door and offer you their magazine, which you promptly use to line your birdcage, or or if they had, you know, one-tenth of one percent of the dedication of people shilling for their particular political candidates who go door to door and who volunteer and who give up weeks or months of their life in order to try and get their candidate elected. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, I mean, the people in in this kind of society, like, and by this, I mean the society interested in philosophy. I mean, it's like, holy crap. What, what does it take to get people To dedicate themselves to philosophy. What, what does it take? You know, I one of my first public speeches was called the Against Me Argument, which says confront people around you with the reality of their support for the state and their support for violence against you. Make it personal. Make it real. And, you know, maybe a couple of handful of people actually did this and other people yelled at me for causing trouble <laughs> in relationships. Hey, you know what's causing trouble in relationships? Massive waves of third world immigration swamping Europe. Now, if people had actually taken on people's addiction to statism, I don't know, eight years ago when I first talked about it, then we'd be having a different conversation. Because people keep thinking, well, I'm going to take the easy road. I'm going to avoid the challenges. I'm not going to ruffle feathers around me. I'm not going to come across like that crazy guy. Okay. Well, Welcome to millions and millions of free market and rational, unfriendly Muslims swarming into your country and sucking up your social safety net. Okay, this is the result. You can, People say, well, I don't want to cause any trouble. Okay, well, <laughs> welcome to Cologne, New Year's Day. A little bit of trouble being caused for hundreds, if not thousands of German women just in that city, let alone across Europe as a whole. And it is... Men who are chickening out from this. And I don't know if you're in this camp. Maybe you have done a lot of evangelizing. Maybe you have done a lot of preaching of reason, brother. But it is men who are chickening out of this. Because men would like rather go to war than upset women. And, you know, for evolutionary reasons. Because, you know, if you go to war, you can come back as a hero and chicks will bang a woman in uniform as soon as they'll <laughs> pick up 20 bucks that flutters to the floor. Yeah. And so they'll go to war rather than cause women trouble, right? Statism is a largely feminine phenomenon, right? This is, this is the, this is why people already oh, talk about feminism rather than statism. They're pretty much the same thing, right? I mean, women vastly uh, out of proportion work for the government, uh, women vastly, out of proportion, take government services from from healthcare to to welfare to um, SNAP, um, what's needy family assistance. Uh, they take food stamps. Is this is a statism. Ever since, gosh, women got the right to vote, statism has become women. <laughs> and so, what I'm saying to to men when I say, listen, go and talk to about you know the violence, coercion, and so on, it's like, go and upset women. And of course, um, with the single mom phenomenon, it's become harder and harder. I know that's not you, but with the single mom phenomenon, it's become harder and harder for men to upset women because they've never seen uh, an assertive man around a woman. They've seen a whole bunch of cucks who come sniffing around their single mom, who the single mom, like they're just gross, little slimy snail-like guys who just come sniffing around the lowest rent vagina they can find. And the single mom can kick them to the curb, no problem, because she's got the state. So she can lord it all over them and snap at them and snarl at them. And the boys have been raised by single moms and been snapped and snarled at by single moms. So it's hard for men to sit there. But when when we're talking about controlling the size and power of the state, when we're talking about reducing the size and power of the state, we're talking about upsetting the ladies (laughs) by and large, right? Um, And so, you know, we've got a whole presentation on this called the truth about male privilege and and so on just think of social security how much do women pay in how much do they take out not only do they pay in less but they live a whole lot longer as well so uh it is tough and um men find it hard to confront women Uh, women have the state right female power is is so great in society because um women choose who to mate with and so this gives them ultimate power to say yay or nay to reproductive success so women have an unbelievable amount of power even in a free society they would have a staggering amount of power just because their yes and no is whether you genes continue from all the way from the primordial soup uh, to the next uh, generation so they say yes or no to that huge amount of power uh, when they're at their height of attractiveness and fertility you know guys are just hurling cash, resources, Rubik's cubes, Dungeons and Dragons character sheets, coffin purses, like anything. What, what's around? Let me throw it at, at women and see <laughs> if I can get their attention and and all of that. And um, uh, I, anyway, so, so I won't go into that. <laughs> but anyway, so women have so much power, particularly when they're young and fertile. And then when they get older, they have the power of being a mom, matriarch, and so on. And, of course, they have so much power in school because they generally are Child facing, And so, you know, so many people grow up afraid of their teachers that the idea of taking on the teachers union is pretty hard for people. And so women have so much power, even in a free society, that when you take the massive amount of sexual market value and um, matriarchal and educational power that women have in general, and you combine it with the power of the state, well, then you, uh, well... You're in a civilization-destroying arc. I mean, it is it is unbelievable how plugging the scepter into the vagina, if I can use a rather gross metaphor, is uh, is sh- something that short circuits and 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 blows the world apart. You you cannot co-join women and the state. So men have always been suspicious of the state because the state can send men to war. <laughs> particularly after the evidence of the 20th century, and because the state takes taxes largely from men and gives tax money largely to women, either you know through redistribution uh, uh, in terms of um, uh, government schools, which single moms can't afford uh, privately, uh, through uh, welfare, transfer payments, healthcare costs, but also through just giving women useless paper, pencil, pushing jobs in the government. Like the only time I ever worked for the government, it was just wall-to-wall women chatting. <laughs> like, just chatting it every now and then um getting an email with a gif attachment of a cat doing something funny and uh so anti-statism is um has has largely become uh, anti-feminism or anti not anti-women like against women but women are benefiting enormously and you know they come out to vote more and, and so on uh women and old people and um And of course, if you go high up enough in the demographics, it's pretty much the same category because the men have all died off. And so it's just, you know what to do. You, you, you have to commit, you have to put things on the line because we live in an irrational world, Ian, which is what you're, I think, really, well, not really, really talking about. We live in an irrational world. How do you convince people in an irrational world? Whenever any new idea comes along, what people do is they look at the proponents of that idea and they say, are you serious or not? Because if you're not serious, if it's just like an affectation or, you know, you just read The Fountainhead and you kind of think you're Howard Rock for six months and then you're going to go on to Jonathan Franzen or some other writer, is it serious? Are you serious about this? Because if you're not serious about it, then society's going to say, okay, well, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Never going to achieve anything. And I have no interest in it whatsoever. The only way to get people interested in new ideas is to be honest to God, no holds barred serious about it, which means acting like it's really, really true. And I'm with less excuse, with fewer excuses, more guilty of this uh, probably than just about anyone I talked to because I was an objectivist for 20 years and um, did not organize my personal relationships along the lines of the philosophy that I accepted. And I, you know, blame myself for that. It's a big step to take. I was not exactly mentored in this direction. But ever since I did start to live my values in my personal relationships, my life, she has gotten better and better and better. And the world, I think, has gotten better and better and better. Because that's what people want to know. You come along with some new set of ideas. Well, are you serious? If you're not serious, I'm not going to waste any time listening to you any more than you waste time listening to some guy on the street corner screaming about how Jesus is crawling up his leg in a snail costume. right. I mean, he may be serious, but you still don't want to bother wasting your time. And so, this issue are you serious? is the only standard by which society has any capability at the moment of evaluating whether you believe something or not. And what society does is it throws a, ma- a massive, giant shit test at those people who have any claim, right? So, if you say you're serious about it, and you, I'll ask you this is not a rhetorical question. Now, so, let's say you went tomorrow, to your your friends, your family, whoever, and said, you know what? I'm into reason. I'm into evidence. I'm into the free market. I'm into voluntarism in my relationships. And I am damn well going to live by that. And I really don't appreciate people who love the state and want to feed me into the wood of state power just because I want to follow my my own conscience. You are supporting and serving evil. Let me explain it to you. And you lay it all out for them. What happens next?
3: A lot of people are just going the react hostile to it, because there's self right. interests. There's self-interests that are exactly against that.
0: Sure, and it's easier to try and put you back in the box of conformity than to actually think anything through themselves, right? So it's perfectly rational, given that they're not rational, it's perfectly rational that they would do that, right? Yeah. and They're going to push back hard, they're going to call you crazy, you know, they're just, and they're going to push back really hard, really hard. And it's sort of like, you know, there's all these sports movies, right? And in these sports movies, some guy goes up to some world-famous coach, some poor kid goes up to some world-famous coach and says, I want to train with you. And what does the coach say? Are you serious? No. The coach says, no, I'm busy, I'm full, get lost, you've got no history, your form is terrible, I don't know where you are, your calf development is ridiculous, I have no interest in it whatsoever, I'm full, I'm busy, uh, and I wouldn't be able to see you even if I wanted to for another 10 years and I don't even want to, right? Right. And then in the sports movie, what does the kid do? He trains, he gets ready, he
3: knocks multiple times. I've heard many different stories of people in business, too, that they, a high old person, they said, are you sure about this? And they keep coming to the guy and saying, I am sure
0: about this. Yeah, what they do is they, they show up and they fetch water. You know, or, you know, wax on, wax off, you know, whatever the guy says. They, they just keep showing up. They keep showing up. And the guy's like, get out of here. I don't want to train you. I'm not interested. And then they'll be doing the gymnastics from the trees by the guy's house. And they'll, you know, whatever. Like they'll just, they'll keep trying, keep trying, and keep trying. And then eventually the guy's like, okay, fine, show up at six o'clock tomorrow morning. Right. Yeah. And that is actually a fairly productive thing. Because if you're a great coach, you don't want to be wasting your resources on people who aren't going to go the distance. Right. No, you don't want to. So this pushback is perfectly natural and actually kind of (laughs) healthy. Libertarians, voluntarists, anarchists, small government people are nowhere near ready to get their way as yet. Nowhere near ready because they can't pass the shit test of personal rejection. Now, if you can't pass the shit test of personal rejection, then you, there's no way you can take on the amassed number of people who are going to be fighting against any actual implementation of limitations on state power. Two singers come to mind. <laughs> um, Paul Simon. I don't know if you know him at all. You're pretty young, right? Yeah, I'm very young. Okay, Simon and Garfunkel, does this... Ah, uh, sounds like I need and to do it. And he's a time I've been forsaken and many times confused. Anyway, he's a, um, he's a singer and um, he's a tiny guy, uh, a very talented songwriter. Uh, he sort of hitched his wagon to the much more powerful smoky tenor of Art Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water. You know that one, right? Yes. Okay, all right. So Paul Simon had a father, obviously, <laughs> everyone does. And uh, Paul Simon said to his dad, I want to be a singer and a musician. And uh, driving in the car. And uh, Paul Simon turns to his dad, I want to be a singer or musician. And the dad says, uh, Okay, sing me something. Right? And Paul Simon sings him something. And his dad says, Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Oh, oh, man, you're terrible. Like, don't, don't, don't do it. What's it like? Don't. Whatever you do, do not do this. Do anything else. Right? Maybe you could be a backup guitarist or something. He's a session musician. He's pretty good at guitar, right? And, it, you know, he does not have a traditionally great voice. I kind of like his voice, like listening to him do um, Amazing Grace with Lady Slim, Black Mambazo, the the group that he did um, Graceland with. It's nice, you know, and he uh, American um, American song, American tune, American tune. Uh, it's nice. It's in, He's got a nice, warbly kind of songbird tenor. And uh, but but you know his father of course would have grown up listening to um, people with really fantastic classical voices, you know Frank Sinatra, Mel Torme, um, uh, people like um, Tony Bennett, uh, you know you name it, right? The people who just had really great sort of like you you open your mouth like okay you should just be a singer whatever you do go sing, (laughs) do not pass go and go sing somewhere right? And um, so Paul Simon had to basically ignore his father. And go against his father's wishes, and I don't know how long his father said, stop doing this, after he kept trying, and eventually he succeeded. But um, he had to basically say, Dad, you're wrong. Your, 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 emph- your, your emphatic belief that I can't do this is completely incorrect. And the other singer that I have thought of is um, the offspring of Jim Morrison. Uh, It's Jim Morrison's uh, father. Jim Morrison's father. And Jim Morrison's father um, said that uh, he should not, he said Jim Morrison should not be uh, a singer, that he had no talent whatsoever in music. And... Uh, I I don't know the degree to... Jim Morrison broke off contact with his uh, father uh, in order to pursue... uh, Partly because... the the, the, Very, very briefly. Jim Morrison's father was an an admiral or something in the Navy. He was a military man. And he didn't believe in spanking. Instead, he believed in what was called dressing down, right, from the military, which is you just verbally abuse someone until they burst into tears. And uh, this was... um, his, um, uh, his approach to, to discipline. And, um, so, uh, uh, Jim Morrison left, got away from his, uh, father and, uh, eventually, you know, I guess he had a, um, a record. Uh, he got a record out and Jim Morrison's father played the Doors is the singer, the singer for the Doors, had played the Doors album. And the father then wrote him another letter and said, you're terrible, whatever you're doing, this is horrible. Music, it's brutal, it's, ow, my ears are bleeding, like you should have nothing to do with anything to do with music, you're horrible, horrifying, blah, 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 right? And um, it's, uh, you know, if he'd listened to his father, then he would not uh, be a singer. He would not have been, you know, he would have, some, some horrifying, it, it, you know, visceral, intense music, like Roadhouse Blues and, and um, stuff like that uh, uh, is, is Touch Me, uh, some fantastic stuff. And, you know, Jim Morrison was, to be fair, also not a big fan of his own singing because he just thought he sounded like a wounded cow. But um, they had to say uh, no to, to their environment. They had to do the opposite of what everyone around them said they would be able to do. And... um when you want to do something extraordinary, everyone around you is going to tell you that it can't be done, it shouldn't be done, and so on. I used to dislike that because I thought, oh, people should be supportive. you know. I, I don't really feel that way anymore. Maybe it's because I've succeeded in my chosen field beyond any reasonable expectations that uh, I could have had. Um, but, um, yeah, they, they're going to push back hard against you because they want to know if you're serious. And if you're not able to take personal rejection then how on earth are you going to change society as a whole? You know, when when Scott Walker wanted to limit some bargaining rights for unions, man, I mean, they, they sent messages that they were going to gut his wife like a deer. He got death threats that his children were followed around like, and that's nothing compared to what libertarians want to do, right? So there's this big question, which is, okay, are you serious about what it is that you want to do? okay you've got to pass the shit test look if you want to get into the army you've got to pass basic training and basic training is not foot massages and baby oil basic training is running around in circles with an 80 pound backpack until you throw up and then running around some more and doing push-ups in the rain and you're crawling under barbed wire where it's ripping the you're talking to someone in the national guard i know exactly what
3: it is it's not easy you got to get to it you have to want it
0: Kind of a shit. Okay, so tell me about the shit test <laughs> called the National Guard.
3: Uh, no, I go to the BCT. B- C- the National Guard is attached in the United States to the basically the major army, so it has to go through the exact same training as the regular military. You, so you have to do stuff. You have to go for twelve kilometer rucks with only a few breaks. Keep the ruck on you. Keep walking. I mean, freaking the Shark Tank day was a fun day, but. No, I understand. Yeah, it, The
0: what? The Shark Tank Day? I thought that was more of a SEAL
3: thing. But no, no, the shark, that, tank? the shark Tank's the verbal dressing down. They're restrained a lot more these days, though, than they were in the back other days. But I know what you're saying. Just there
0: are girls in now,
3: right? But, yeah, and the military's having fun with that. They're, <laughs> but that's another whole their issue. But no, I, I get what you're saying. I have to be serious. Because the world doesn't take someone who's not serious very seriously i don't
0: know in a free market whether like how the hell you train military people i mean but but the way it is right now is there's a significant shit test and there's a shit test for everything that is desirable right so if you want to be a writer okay you've got to write a whole bunch of stuff you got to get published nowhere you got to you know uh take no pay uh you got to work as a waiter or whatever it is you're going to do same thing if you want to be a an actor and then you need an agent, right? Because the agent, that's the shit test. Got, first of all, you've got to get an agent. And then the agent's got to try and sell or place your work. And I mean, it's a huge amount of shit tests just to see if you really care about it, if you're really dedicated about it, if you really want to do it. And this is all over the place. There are shit tests. And the shit tests are, can you handle people fighting you tooth and nail that you care about? People finding you to, fighting you tooth and nail for what it is that you believe in. Can you handle that? Can you surmount that? Now, whether you can convince them or not is not up to you because it's ultimately up to their choice. But are you willing to push through everything to implement your vision? In other words, are you for real or are you a poser? Like a poser, I don't know if it's still the case these days, Ian, but when I was a kid, being a poser was like, the worst thing, especially the punk crowd. Like if you're not basically face planting into a tackle box to get your <laughs> facial piercings, you know, if you've got some delicate little thing through your ear and a little bit of glue in your hair, you're just a poser. You're not a real punk. And uh, this was sort of all over. If you're not going to King Kurt concerts where they throw uh, animal bits around. Like you're just not a real, you know, you're not really into it. You're just posing. And um, posers are very distracting. And are you serious about things? And people who just dabble in politics or who write blogs, are you serious about it? In other words, are you willing to live by your values? And, and it's, look, if someone comes up with a radical diet, you know, chipmunk tails and gravel, it will give you ultimate health. <laughs> and, and, and then they, you expect them to eat that themselves, right? And, and be healthy. Because <laughs> if they're like, chipmunk. Tails and gravel, ultimate health. Now I'm going to go get me a Big Mac because it's actually kind of gross. <laughs> right? So, so if someone's coming up with a radical diet that makes no sense to you, no s- spider venom and unicorn blood <laughs> frappé together with kale, right? I mean, you, you would ex- at least say, okay, A, are you, are you, are you eating this yourself? <laughs> Whatever you do with that, get a priest to bless it so it's not so evil. Are you drinking it yourself? And if you are, are you healthy? Are you happy, right? That's what people want to know. They don't want to sit there and judge your stupid unicorn blood and spider venom diet. They want to know: Are you doing it yourself? And are you dedicated to it? And are you healthy as a result, right? Yeah. No. It... And if you know, if you like, don't want to. Okay, I, I, this is great. You know, unicorn blood and, and spider venom. That's that's I mean, like, but you don't eat it. Then people are like, eh, all right, who cares, right? You're just annoying. You're a poser. You're a poser. And society doesn't care about posers. They only care if you're dedicated. Now, if you're dedicated and you do it and you live it and you take no compromises, aha, uh-huh, then and only then will people even remotely be interested in what you have to say. And I have a life that was well prepared for public integrity. <laughs> Right. Because if I say, well, the state is immoral and the state only survives on people's support of it and people could reasonably have asked, well, do you have a lot of status in your life? Yeah. Well, then aren't you surrounded by people who support immorality and an evil institution that aims for your destruction?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. Um. So I I had to have a life of, I didn't do it for, I did all this stuff before uh, I had any public presence, but... I have to, you know, it, it worked out well that I had a life of integrity. And then when I say to people and libertarians and others, and I say, okay, well, the non-aggression principle should apply to kids, which means it's banking, circumcision, and so on are immoral. And uh, no, I don't want to write. And, and okay, here's the logical argument, right? The state is um, exists only because people believe it's virtuous. Uh, and therefore, people who believe that the state is virtuous are actually they want to use force against you. They may not be aware of that, but you can connect the dots very quickly and easily for them, and that should have some impact on your relationships. You can't go around defining entire groups of people as evil and then have it have no effect on your <laughs> You can. It's just that then you don't even remotely pass a shit test. You're just a poser. You're just a poser. And uh, philosophy and virtue and, and, and integrity and the non-aggression principle are far too important to be fumbled by posers. It's far too important. The world is sailing ever and ever into more and more desperate straits. And it's going to hungrily, hungrily demand leadership. No. And yeah. Yeah. If, if it's not you who's going to bring leadership to your community, it's going to be some someone who's not you. And that someone who's not you is going to be a lot worse. You know, 700, 800, 1,000 years, Muslims would be wanted to take over Europe. And now they're like, hey, borders are down. Let's go in and fuck. Right? Okay, so they've, they're really committed. And the Europeans like are stopped by the mental barriers of political correctness. I mean, that, that's how weak the European culture has become. And why has the European culture become that weak? Because there's nobody around who wishes to stand on principle anymore. So there's nothing to I mean, they're invading fog. There's nothing there, nothing to protect, nothing to defend. It's the men who'll suffer, right? In general, historically um, the men get killed and the women just sleep with the conquerors. So, you know, I mean, it's um, not the same for women as it is for men. But so when you say, well, I don't know what to do, you know exactly what to do. You do what the early Christians did. I'm not saying go and get eaten by lions, (laughs) right? But uh, I'm just, you know exactly what to do. I mean, there's a shit test called you're a racist. It's like, yeah. Uh, you're a sexist. You're a misogynist. You're a you hate women. You can't get laid. You're 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 just a randroid. You're a oh, or something. Uh, yeah, okay, I get it. I you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Because that pushback, A means that you're going in the right direction. There's not a lot of pushback for the crazy guy on the street corner. Not a lot of people stopping and debating him, right? But when you look at there's just all of these giant shit tests that go on in society, where people just hurl abuse at you and spread lies about you, make up the most outlandish stuff about you. They just do all of this stuff because society wants to know, are you for reals <laughs> or is you a poser, <laughs> right? I mean, because if society decides to change direction, because The non-aggression principle is so great and decides to set itself up for a hugely pitched and titanic battle against entrenched special interests among the rich, the middle class, and the poor. The entire welfare, warfare, military, industrial, public sector union, private sector union, entitled class of self-deluded vampiric parasites. Okay. (laughs) I don't want to follow a general into battle who's going to run screaming if a spider runs over his foot, right? You can't, I don't want to follow someone into battle who's not going to give me a gun. I don't want to follow someone into a battle who's going to flinch, who's going to falter, who's going to fall back, who's going to run away, who's going to shriek like a girl because someone told them there might be a snake on the battlefield, right? I don't I don't want to do it. I Forget it. I'll stay home. I'm going to stay home. And... Having the courage of your convictions is the only way of being able to alter the world. It's not about how good your arguments are. It's not about how good your prose is. It's not about how eloquent are your analogies or your metaphors. It's all about the strength of conviction. Are you willing to stand by your convictions at personal cost? Christians are. Muslims are. Hindus are. Jehovah's Witnesses are. Mormons are. Mormons will shun the shit out of you (laughs) if you don't follow a particular rule or do something the community doesn't agree with. They will follow the courage of their convictions and they will determine their relationships based upon your conformity with their belief systems. They are serious. And so they win. Do they win the whole world over? Oh, they win enough that they're a significant um, influence and proportion and movers and shakers in the American political and social scene. A lot of serious people out there. People who believe in the flat earth. They're actually very serious. <laughs> I know, ran they, into those you, on a few forums yeah, I they, frequent. They go to the wall, Right. You know, people who believe that invisible space-based weapons took down Building 7, they're very serious about this belief. They really go to the wall. People who strap bombs to themselves and pretend to be a pregnant woman and go blow up a bunch of people, they're serious. And I don't want anyone to use any kind of violence because it's completely unnecessary and counterproductive and immoral. But, to have the strength of your convictions, to leave the comfortable tribe, see this is the reality. Let me just make this last statement, and then I'll shut up and let you talk as I've said a lot. But let me say this last statement that people really, really need to understand your world, the world of the west it's going to end either way because there's nothing left to defend the the, the borders are porous the Ethic is wishy-washy. Political correctness, fear, conformity, verbal abuse, it's all taken over the public discourse. And what were formerly toga-coated thinkers having a public discourse, now just a bunch of wild-eyed, crazy-haired people carrying pitchforks and torches chasing after every imaginary ogre that they can hear crashing about in the woods, which are in fact each other. What is there left to defend? And if society goes on much longer in Europe in particular, though also in North America, and if society continues to abuse men to the degree that it has for the past generation or two, okay, well, men are gonna be so disgusted that they have no wish to defend. They have no wish to defend their country, no wish to defend their culture. Too disgusted. You, you cannot abuse an entire class of people and then demand that they lay down their lives to defend you. It's not. It doesn't work. So existing society is is it's it's over and and this doesn't fundamentally have anything to do with mass migration or mass immigration or whatever it's not fundamentally to do with that existing society is over because the US government has close to 200 trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities the unions don't have enough money for their pensions and the economy when you push when the fed push interest rates to plus 0.25 the economy it's like one of these white florida homes falling into a sinkhole in fast forward like the ex- what is is done what is is done and it's been done for at least a generation so everything's going to change anyway and it's either going to change in your direction reason evidence consistency or it's going to change in another direction you know people say well i don't want to annoy the people in my life okay But it's your job to defend them if you care about them at all. And that means maybe annoying the shit about them. Like it's my doctor's job to keep me healthy. And if that says, you know, if he says stop eating passion flakies and smoking cigars, I don't do either. But if I did, right, he would be annoying to me. And so you say, well, I don't want to annoy the people in my life. Okay, well, how are the people in your life, are they going to feel annoyed when fascism comes in because the government's run out of money? Going to feel a little annoyed then? Yeah. And the women in your life, well, they don't like to talk politics, really. Okay, so what? So what? They don't like to talk politics and I don't want to bother them, really. Do you think Western women are going to be a little bit bothered by the ever-expanding tentacles of Sharia law? think that's going to be a little bothersome to them? You have to do what is best for the world and most people will oppose you for it. That's the gig. That's the deal. And you will not, you'll be cursed in the now and revered in the future. In the now, the thinkers got to drink hemlock, go crazy, kiss horses and be cared for by their sister for the last 10 years of their life. Socrates and Nietzsche, right? The thinkers have to flee. Aristotle had to flee. Athens. He said, I will not allow Athens to sin against philosophy twice because the mob was chasing him. He was speaking reason. Socrates tried Plato tried to get involved in politics, ended up being nearly sold into slavery and had a catastrophe, right? You have to save the people and the people will hate you for it. That's the deal. You know, how happy were people to hear that smoking was bad for you? Well, all the people who didn't like secondhand smoke were happy, but the smokers were unhappy and they really disliked the people who told them the truth. And uh, that's the deal. You know, that's the gig. You don't have to have the gig, but it sounds like you got the, the gig kind of has you, right? I mean, this the job kind of has you. But society as it stands right now is, um, it's ending either way. It, it's absolutely unsustainable. The eye of the hurricane we've had for the past 20 or 30 years Forget it. It's done. It's done. Mathematically, it can't continue. No conceivable way. And so the idea that, well, I don't want to disturb my relationships. Dude, reality is going to disturb your relationships much more than your words could ever do. Change is coming. The airplane is going down. You can either fight your way to the front and get the landing gear down or not. But don't imagine that there's any way it can stay up. It's out of fuel. I guess I never realized how important
3: just little ideas were at my formative years. But like you said, Steph, I'm, I'm stuck. I, when I was debating about Christianity for a while, I didn't want to be a part of it anymore, because to be morally and intellectually honest, I knew I wasn't. And now it looks like I'm at another crossroads that pretty much I have to go with what I know is right. This I know it's there's not much time left for the United States. I don't have a no one who knows the timeline, but I know we're playing games with nations we shouldn't be. Our money's running out. I mean, the whole election cycle this year is just I can see everyone around me knows something's wrong, but they really don't have the information I've been gathering and looking at and trying to understand.
0: Oh, I don't know that you want to bring up this election cycle necessarily, because this is a very, this is an unprecedented election cycle.
3: I, I know yeah. about the Trump, <laughs> can't stump the Trump. I'm just talking about on the left, I particular anyone in my college age.
0: See, now that's interesting. So you go straight to can't stump the Trump, which is kind of like a mocking thing, right? No, I'm just using the. What meat. are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the Donald? Pretty much, I was going to wait for Super Tuesday to
3: see how everything played out, and if he took it, I was going to go full bore in for him. But I think I pretty much already wait, knew.
0: You, you want to wait to see if he's popular before you support him? Do you have you heard philosophy? Do you philosophy, bro? <laughs>
3: yes, I heard philosophy, bro, and I realized I was stupid. I already knew that he was from your show, from other places I frequent on the internet I should be already telling what I think and it's just the, some of the women in my life, including my mother they, they go straight to he's a racist, he's, he's sexist, his relationship's in his life and I'm going you, you taught me with reason and evidence now you're basically acting batshit crazy, what am I supposed to do now?
0: What do you mean? What are you supposed to do now? I know they, <laughs> you know exactly what to do. I you don't know. want to do it. Don't don't give me this. Uh, I don't know what to do. Just say I know what to do. I just don't want to do it. I mean, you got to have that level of honesty, right? Yeah. No, I don't want to do it. But confront them. Do, uh, hey, are, do you? Are your mom, is your mom and other women in your family? Are they into equal rights? Do they think that women should be treated equally under the law? Do they think that women should have the same privileges and responsibilities that men do? Yes. Okay, take them at their word and treat them like equals. If some guy started just screaming insults at someone rather than giving them an argument, I guess be working for reason. But also, what would you say to that to that man? I would try to counter as much as possible
3: and go—I mean, verbally, not physically—and just tell him. Them- why he, that's wrong, everything I've learned about Donald Trump go into, it. are you just basing this off of emotions and everything you've heard from secondhand sources instead of actually going to his website, his media, and reading the materials he's put out for years that tell what he really is about and what he's done and how he's done everything.
0: Yeah, and, and if he's so racist, boy, it's, uh, I guess a, a lot of people forgot to inform the Hispanics because Hispanics are rallying enormously. Behind Donald Trump, right? Uh, I said this months ago, and you know, I really don't get enough credit for this stuff, but probably my own fault. I'm too, it's too boring to go back and (laughs) circle all the areas in which I was right. But months and months ago, I said, Hispanics are going to rally behind Donald Trump, because they left Mexico, because they don't like Mexico. And if they see this giant (laughs) pinata sombrero looming up in their rear view, they're going to hit the gas, you know, (laughs) get away, we left Mexico, we don't want Mexico following us, right? Yeah, no, I, and so I said, I said Hispanics are going to rally behind Donald Trump, and everyone called me crazy. And what happened recently? Biggest uh, landslide among Hispanics. Uh, why don't be, if people just listen to me? Shut up and listen to me, and everything will be fine. Of course, that's not how philosophy works. But boy, it doesn't sometimes you wish it? You wish it did, right? So no, you'd say to people, "Look, screaming insults just tells me that you're stupid about this." Like, sorry, you. I mean, it's it's a fact, right? If, if you're screaming insults, rather, and and I don't mean passion and anger is fine, but if you're screaming insults and just always oh, a racist, always oh, a misogynist, oh, blah, 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 right? Okay, that just says that you shouldn't be talking about this because you're being an idiot about it, but for some emotional reason, right? Now, some women love Donald Trump, and some women hate Donald Trump, and it's pretty easy to figure out why.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the reasons my mother had some issue with it is because she was adopted uh, by my grandpa that was in the army because her biological father basically, she had a good time as a young kid but then eventually was sort of abandoned at boarding school and that's where my uh, current grandfather basically kind of saved her. and. She could have been a single mother,
0: the whole thing. So I'm kind of like razors. Wait, dead. sorry, sorry. That, that was a very quick sprint through. What was that about being a single mom?
3: My mother, if it wasn't for my grandpa who was in the army, had adopted her and given her a stable family, she could have been that single mother and whoever re- would replace me in the genetic lottery would have been another in the masses stuck in this mess.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. D- did she get married and stay married?
3: Yeah, she got married and stayed married, but she was very close to, let's just say, if my grandpa, the non-biological but the army one, didn't
0: adopt her. Okay, I don't know anything about that. Does she, does she, what does she do for a living?
3: Uh, She was a stay-at-home mom, but right now she's actually doing education-related stuff, teaching mathematics and such. My mother could have been influenced back in her life because her biological grandfather, for practical senses, abandoned her to be basically a single mother. It was only because my adopted grandfather adopted her, gave her a somewhat stable marriage point of view of how a stable family works, that she basically mirrored
0: that with my father. So why does she not like Donald Trump? And look, maybe there's good reasons to dislike Donald Trump. I was no big fan of his when it came to his Apple thing and all that and put that pretty much out there. But why... Does she dislike Donald Trump? Pretty much for his
3: failed marriages and bankruptcies is the two big points I kept getting from her.
0: Okay, the bankruptcies is a non, non-issue, right?
3: I tried to get that to her, but some people don't understand how business
0: bankruptcies work. Well, but surely she wouldn't want to just have a negative opinion so, uh, based on, right? Because if she decries him for being bigoted and she just says the magic word bankruptcy and suddenly he's become a bad guy, she would want to have some facts behind her dislike, right? Unless it's a cloak for something deeper and more emotional.
3: That's why I was suggesting related maybe to her biological grandfather and um, father. Because he was somewhat of a player and he had a car company he was an eraser back in the days. And I think the seventies like he was involved and in racing. And all what that. is
0: her relationship like with your dad?
3: It was very good. I got to see him loving. They talked a lot back and forth. I, I mean, it was closest you could get to in a lot of ways a peaceful parenting. from my point of view, I haven't seen any other families equal to mine. Like they taught us, how to be polite and everything. And they did spank me a few times, but they did not do that with my sisters. I think they
0: knew. No, you mentioned that. Has she had this kind of negative reaction to other people in public life? Uh, You mean other politicians or just other people in public life? Has she had this sort of very negative reaction? That's not really founded on many facts.
3: Not really. She is very well educated and she does base everything she can on facts. It's just, I don't know why she just, I do know why. I, it's something to do with Donald Trump and that he might remind her of her biological grandfather. I mean father, sorry. My biological grandfather what are her politics? Republican, Christian conservative, and that's where the marriage issue thing comes in that he had two wives which Donald Trump did. Right. Right. And that basically she says how can he be a good man if he did these and I said his politics, how he treated his kids. And but no, it was just the marriage that he
0: Divorced to women. I mean, she must have a very similar reaction to John Kasich and uh, John McCain as well, because they both have divorces. What about Ronald Reagan? Think thought, he was also divorced.
3: She thought something of Ronald Reagan. I mean, she thinks somewhat positive of him. Like I, what I'm getting at is. I think it's not the divorce. It's how he treats women, her perception of it, not mine. Okay, so hang on, because
0: I, I wish we had her on the line, but uh, because I, she's in another kind of city, city and around. all that. No, it's fine. So if she says it's the bankruptcies, that's a terrible reason to dislike. Them. I mean, there may be good reasons, but that's not a good reason to dislike Donald Trump, that he used bankruptcy uh, proceedings to protect Uh, businesses from creditors in order to restructure that happens all the time in american business and it's perfectly legal and it's perfectly acceptable a business practice so this divorce thing is not the real issue um sorry the, the the bankruptcy thing the divorce thing well if she has a you know she would then any any politician who's been divorced i'm going to assume that she doesn't have any friends who've been divorced is that right um, she
3: actually has some friends in the homeschool community that have been divorced. Not the close families
0: I knew, but some other ones. Wait a minute. I thought, I thought it was really bad. Mark, how can, how can he be a good person if he's been divorced, but she has friends who've been divorced? I don't, I don't quite follow that. Does she saying that her friends aren't good people? No, not her friends are good people. More of she's just,
3: what I think it is. Is it's related to that?
0: No, 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 no. Hang on. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. don't. don't I've, I've heard your theory about five times now. All I get right, it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. I'm going. Something to the grandfather. Okay. But um, so, so the, 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 the divorce thing can't be real no. because she's got friends who are divorced. So a divorce does not mean that you're a bad person. Right. So she's got a visceral dislike of the guy and she's grabbing at something to justify it. Right. Pretty much. Yes. Which is bigoted. Right. I mean, like, if you don't like blacks, and then you just say, "Well, this, well, that," and your facts are all wrong, but you just ignore that, then clearly you're just bigoted, right? Yeah, and it was kind and of, it would be interesting to get, you know, if you want to choose a mission, right? Find out what the hell's going on with your mom and Donald Trump. No, I, I do need to figure that out because I, it doesn't. Is make she politically sense. correct?
3: In some ways, yes, because of. <laughs> When I said about talking about the immigration issue, she says, why are you acting like a white person? You have some Hispanic blood in me at Puerto Rican somewhere. And I'm going, this is not the issue. I was saying it was not a race issue. It's about the immigrants and we have no legal structure. We're basically no
0: rule of law. But she acted like. Wait, so you got a problem. She said, why are you acting like a white person? A white racist. That's what
3: it is, she said. Why are you acting like a white racist?
0: Wow. Does she have any Jewish friends?
3: Not that I know of. I have not known any Jewish f- friends for my whole life. It's Christian conservatives around from miles to sea. No, I
0: just I'm just wondering if, because Jews are very interested in maintaining the integrity of their own country and culture of Israel, right? Yes. I mean, it's always kind of funny to me, like, all these these goddamn Republican politicians, uh, John Donald Trump accepted. But it's always that awkward moment where they talk about their incredible support for Israel, incredible support for Israel, and their opposition to building a wall. Their -hmm. incredible support for Israel, but their opposition to any form of nationalism among Europeans in America or European, like, whites in America. So how on earth (laughs) is it possible to be pro-Israel or to support Israel and yet to attack the majority whites in America for doing exactly what the Jews do, which is to build a giant wall around the country and keep incompatible or opposing belief systems out of the country? So she must really hate Israel. Because that's, Israel does a thousand times more than what Donald Trump is proposing. So she must really, really hate Israel. She must really hate Japan. She must really hate South Korea with its 99% South Korean ethnic homogeneity for not taking in a whole bunch of Hispanics and not taking in a whole bunch of Muslims. and like She must just hate all of these other countries for uh, this. Or is it only white people? who are not allowed to have any nationalism or any borders. I mean, the Pope, I'm not gonna tell you, just the fact that Donald Trump takes on the Pope and wins just makes him a kind of superhero in some ways, I'm just telling you. If the Pope comes and, you know, maybe the Pope got bad information, but some reporter is like, well, this is what Donald Trump wants to do. And um, the Pope says, well, anyone who w- wants to build a wall isn't a Christian. And it's like, I don't know if you've looked out of the Vatican lately. <laughs> It's a big, giant wall all the way around Vatican City. Just giant, big, giant wall. And the Vatican takes no immigrants whatsoever. I think they've um, given a manger to a couple of uh, migrants. But um, the giant wall, giant wall around the Vatican, and they take no immigrants whatsoever. And then um, Donald Trump even mentions this. And apparently, having a giant wall and not wanting immigration... Makes you a non Christian. I guess he's gonna turn in his hat and get a real job. I just I just find so she called you a racist, really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm gonna assume you're not a racist.
3: <laughs> no, I've met tons of people different walks of lives, even religious backgrounds, and I've had great conversations. I've always amazed and loved finding me and talking to people. It's just And how did it feel when she or mother called you a racist? It's is shocking and scared. I mean, it's not the first time I've gone down that hole of why can the United States not defend and keep itself, its identity, and, well, have a border because it's a nation. But it's kind of just when I forced the issue, I was, you yeah, I mean, I was
0: recoiling verbally. Do you know what your mom is? Your mom is committed. Yes, right. She's like she's willing to pull the racist card on you, which is a huge, huge insult. And of course, she knows you're not a racist. I mean, this is the whole point of the word racism, right? Yes. You you go to some KKK member and say you racist is like, yep, Yep. (laughs) yeah, proud of it. I'm a proud racist. Um, and, uh, you know, some, some of the more pro-black groups, you know, the really black nationalist groups, oh, racist against whites. That's right. We hate those white devils, right? Proud of it, right? The only, the only time that racism hurts people is if they're not racists. And also if you are a racist, doesn't that mean she raised you badly? Yes, and also, isn't she saying that you have to like Hispanics because you have Hispanic blood in you? What is it like uh, magnets, like <laughs> little iron, little Mexican or Puerto Rican or Hispanic iron fillings that uh, just attract across great, clunk, <laughs> like like a, a magnet and a robot? You got to go what cling to other <laughs> Hispanics because what? I mean, that's just weird. You're supposed to like Hispanics because you're Hispanic. In other words, you're supposed to judge Hispanics not by the content of the character, but just by the fact that they have some similar DNA to you, and you're supposed to like them because of this genetic proximity? Okay, let's just say that that's true. I think that's a horrible perspective, right? But but if your mom says, well, you have to like Hispanics because you have a little bit of Hispanic in you, then why on earth would she have any objection to white people liking white people? It's exactly the same principle. It is. Jesus, race and ethnicity, it makes people literally insane. Black people are supposed to stick together and fight for what's good for black people. Oh, wait, are there white people sticking together and fighting for what's good for white people? KKK, Nazi, nationalist, white, six million, blah, right? Yeah. (laughs) I just think that's okay. You got to like Hispanics because you got a Hispanic blood in you. Well, do white people have more white blood in them compared to each other or just me three drops of Puerto Rican? Okay, then white people should like each other a lot more by that logic. No! (laughs) That's white supremacy.
1: It's bad. (laughs) Why are you people so crazy?
3: This is what I get for going down the rabbit holes.
0: (laughs) No, this is what you get for getting stuck in the middle. You know, listen. There's conformity and history, and then there's reason and evidence, right? And just think of them like there's a road, and you, you've seen this a million times, right? Drive down the road, there's a culvert under the road, right? Make sure that the water doesn't wash away the road.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you can't climb over the hill, none of us can, you gotta go through the culvert, right? The fact that this is a rebirth metaphor and we're talking about your mom is entirely apt, but you gotta go through the culvert, right Ian? The problem is not with either side of the culvert. The problem is, you're stuck in the middle. You're stuck in the middle. You're not getting to the next thing, and you're not getting away from the last thing. And I don't mean getting away from your family. What I mean is just, confront people. Challenge her. Challenge her. If you don't challenge her, you have no respect for her. This This is... This is the reality. If she's calling you a racist, if she's coming up with argument, uh, like ad hominem arguments and so on against Donald Trump, that's bullshit. And she knows it. And you know it. And if you're not calling her on her bullshit, it means you don't respect her. We all need to be called on our bullshit. Look, I had a guy last week gave me a really ferocious argument about immigration. I think I did a pretty good job. Didn't satisfy myself completely. I'm working on a giant essay about it all. Because, <laughs> you know, a guy came in and kicked me some, gave me some pretty good roundhouses. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I've got to get some better answers. I've got to work through all this kind of stuff. i got to sort it all out. I'm glad he did. That's great. That's what I like. That's what I need. That's what I want. You know, the the, the knife is sharp against the whetstone, and there are a lot of sparks. She calls you a racist. You cannot let that stand. I don't think. And if you don't, like if you do want to let it stand, then if you want to go backwards out of the culvert, go backwards out of the culvert and say, okay, well, I don't have enough respect for my mom. I don't have enough respect for her intellectual integrity to challenge her on these issues. I'm not going to confront her bigotry. I'm not going to confront her insult. I'm just going to nod and smile and say, can I have another piece of pie? I'm going to treat her like a child who doesn't know what she's saying. Okay, then do that and commit to that. Commit to conformity or commit to thought, but don't get stuck in the middle. That is torture and that it makes, you know what, I I don't want people to get into philosophy and be unhappy. Please, don't read my diet book and get fat. (laughs) Whatever you do, right? Throw away the diet book, absolutely, and say, oh, that guy's got a terrible diet and then get fat, absolutely. I I mean, I don't want you to get fat, but if that's your choice, that's your choice. I'm going to run around and, and tell you what to eat. Or if you're going to read my diet book, follow the diet book and and lose weight, <laughs> right? But but don't say, oh yeah, I'm reading this guy's diet book, not follow the diet, pretend you are and confuse the shit out of everyone and, and harm me and harm the course, right? If you're going to accept the beliefs, live by the beliefs, commit to the beliefs. And if you're not going to live by the beliefs, totally fine. I look, I'm... This is the, the reason and evidence philosophy is not a prison cell, it's not a straitjacket, it's not physics, it's not a commandment, it is, does not strip you of free will. Do it or don't do it, but commit to either. Don't kind of half do it and just drag your foot around and, and bump your head against people and then draw back and take insults and continue to re-engage and then pretend that your values aren't your values in the moment and then later seethe in your head. Just fucking do it or don't do it. But be committed either way. You know, don't bring up Donald Trump with your mom. Or bring it up and get to the bottom of this bigotry. I mean, that's my invitation with everyone when it comes to Donald Trump. Like him or don't like him. But know why you like him or don't like him. Just repeat stupid slander. And, you know, it's like... (sighs) It's lazy. It's boring. And it, to anybody with half a brain, you, you just look completely bigoted and ridiculous.
5: I'm scared of a Donald Trump presidency.
0: <laughs> 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 He's mean. He said mean things about people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I mean, if you, you know, if you want to read mean things about people, read the Koran. If you have problems with people saying mean things about people, I don't know. Like, this political correctness, too, particularly for Christians. Like, I mean, okay. Christians have got cucked up, too, right? I mean, if it's... she cares about Christians, she can't be a huge fan of the Muslims who are treating Christians like hell in Islamic countries as a whole. Anyway, is there anything else you wanted to uh, to mention? I'm to move on to the next one.
3: No, thank you, Steph. Uh, I have a lot to think about, and... <laughs>
0: I guess to borrow your It's easier than basic training and a lot more fun when you get into it. It's what Andrew Breitbart said. You walk towards the fire. You walk towards the fire. It's coming either way. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming either way. Like I'm saying to people, you gotta move house. You gotta dig up your family, you gotta dig up your friends, and you gotta drag them, you gotta move them, whatever it is you have to do. Matter of fact, you gotta move house. Cause cause a forest fire is coming and the house is gonna burn down. You gotta move house. And people are like, Well, I don't wanna move house okay, then you can wait until the forest fire is half burning the house and you can just run screaming into the into the night. <laughs> half, your hair is on fire. You, you you lost your pajama bottoms. Actually, that would be cool. But the fire is coming either way. You got to get people roused. You got to get people moving. Oh, I don't want to. It's disturbing. Okay, well, then you have to wait till the fire and panic and really shitty things are going to happen. But the fire is coming either way. So that's my suggestion. All right. Well, thanks very much for your call, Ian. Let us know how it goes and uh, I appreciate it. And if your mom wants to call in, she is more than more than welcome.
1: All right. Well, up next is Max. Uh, Max wrote in and said, I'm a 34-year-old prospective entrepreneur. I've listened to several of your podcasts that address motivation. However, I feel that I am a special case because instead of desperately trying to discover what I'm good at, I'm actually quite good at a few different things. I'm somewhat of a renaissance man with a strong interest in video production, music, writing, philosophy, psychology, personal slash spiritual development, and even have a great concept for a fun bar. My problem is that I'm having a very hard time deciding which direction to focus my energy so that I can be the most successful and fulfilled. Feeling fulfilled and that my work has meaning is more important than money to me, so I find myself being pulled in many different directions. My question is, with a wide range of skills and interests, how do I decide which one to pursue professionally? That is from Max. (laughs) Hey, Max, how are you doing? I'm
4: <laughs> doing well.
0: How are you? How, how thick is your skin, Max?
4: Oh, it's 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 relatively thick. I mean, I definitely have I've got, had uh, actually that last caller, you had a lot of information there that really resonated with me as far as the naysayers uh, being a necessary kind of uh, uh, evil for cutting through bullshit in your life. So uh, I definitely I can yeah. relate to that.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I thought when I read your letter and... I'm not saying this is any objective judgment, but I'll tell you what I thought, and then you can tell me what you think. (laughs) Go for it. You navel-gazing, narcissistic son of a bitch. (laughs) How can I be best fulfilled? How can I achieve what I want to do with my own goals and desires, and I, me, me, I, I? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Oh, I totally hear you. I hear you. Like, How about find out what the world needs and supply some service that works for other people? Oh, for sure. Do you know what I mean? It's a market thing. Oh, I know, and that's what I want to do. I mean, obviously, I, I want to create <laughs> my music that pleases me, and, and 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 that I really prefer. And it's like, okay, great, then. But what? How about making music that that pleases other people? Like, and I say this because, like, oh, I mean, there's so much I'd like to do in this show that people don't want me to do, right? right? Hey, Mike, let's book another person to talk about peaceful parenting so that we can watch the single-tier droplets of views scatter down our former well of optimism. Hey, it did a view! Uh,
1: Look at that! It did a view! <laughs> Yay! A <laughs> person
0: might not hit their kids. Let's talk about a really important Supreme Court case with the people directly involved! <laughs> no. That's not going to get 10% of flat earth debate time. And it's like, so, you know, there's so much that I want to talk more abstract, complicated, logic tree, philosophy stuff. That's what I'm trained in. That's what I love to do. And how interested are people in that? And the answer would be really not not very much at all. So, um, yeah, the, the, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm very happy to do these shows and I'm incredibly... um happy with, with the job <laughs> that I have. You kind yeah, of see inspiration to me
4: because I, that's why I listen to your show and I love what you do because I, you know, I definitely see that you're providing great value to people, myself included. And so, um, you know, that's definitely is something that I aspire towards. I really do want to, um, help the world in some way, in some positive fashion. So, uh, okay. So, so that's, then
0: this is why I don't want to get to, okay. So Max, I love that name for <laughs> Max. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like what Frank Zapper said to, no, no, Alice Cooper said to Microsoft, why not macro hard? That's a good question. Um, but what does the world need, do you think, the most?
4: I would say, man, that's it. I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, at least in the, the state of the world that I see today, a lot of people need some, you know, some kind of, you know, you do talk about reason a lot, a lot of, you know, I think people need some rationality and some reason in their lives a little bit with how chaotic everything is. I mean, just some kind of clarity even. And, um, you know, and it's so hard to decide like what angle to, to put on that. You know, I'm a media guy myself. So okay.
0: Okay. No, 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 Just don't give me the angles. And the... Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So I think people the world yeah. need to need, they need rational thinking. Uh,
4: yeah, I think some, some critical thinking and rational thinking, a big dose of that would be helpful.
0: Okay. If it's what the world most needs and you say, Yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me to narrow it down, Steph. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's hard for you to connect with something that's that's really important, right? If you if you want something that's gonna make you passionate, it has to be a combination of what you're able to do and what the world needs the most. Right. Right. Because you're in the realm of ideas and philosophy. Like the world needs J Cloths, right? So there are people who make J-cloths, and I'm glad that they do because sometimes I spill my milk. Um, but I remember, and I've mentioned this before on the show, but it's it's been a while, so we're recycling. But um, a friend of mine was going to go for a, at a job at a company that produces like razors and antiperspirant, deodorant, and stuff like that. And um, we're sitting down. His friend's a really good interviewer interviewee and, and was talking about, you know, all this and that and the other. And then at the end of it, the guy says, okay, well, what do you think? The interviewer says, well, you know, I like the culture. The job is interesting. The pay is right. Work environment looks fun. He's, I just, I don't know if I can spend the rest of my life really focusing on armpits. Did he get a call back? <laughs> no, he did not. Right. And, and it's fine, right? Now, there are some people who really, really are interested in armpits. Like there's a guy who did uh, America's Most Wanted. Um, there's this guy with the the, the Bill Bittle hair and the sinister voice, and um, apparently his daughter was killed by some guy who was had escaped from prison, and so he like he then this was his thing. Right, he became he, and you know they. We're responsible for catching hundreds or thousands, I don't know, criminals over the years and so on, right? So this guy had something, you know, if in memory of my daughter, I'm going to have other people stop going through this. I'm going to work 18 hours a day to try and get these guys back in prison and whatever it is, right? So if you have something that is really, really important for the world and it happens to coincide with skills that you have, okay, then we're starting to talk turkey. But you, I can tell this from the letter and from our conversation so far, Max. I don't know that you're gonna be able to give yourself permission to care as much as you need to care to do this kind of work, whatever the kind of work is that's gonna help the world the most.
4: Yeah. I wanna and I guess that's kinda of why why I wanted to talk to you. I'm trying to figure out why why that is.
0: Well, it's safer to not care, right? True. It's safer emotionally to not care. And, and I'm not saying you don't care at all and you may be very passionate about hamsters and <laughs> your kids or whatever. You, you may be very passionate about a lot of good things, but it's generally a lot easier in life if you don't care about really important things. It's generally easier in life if you're not passionate about things that matter. Because when you're passionate about things that matter, it's very inconvenient for other people, right? Mm
4: Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I wonder if uh, I've had failures in the past, too, where I had to deal with naysayers and kind of, you know, just went, went trudging on and then... And then, and then I guess failed in my consideration of a failure. I guess, and so I didn't. Uh, I think maybe that um, I could be slightly jaded from from that those experiences, and so it may be harder for me. You know, in my in my youthful kind of the young and naive days. You know, just trudging forward, and then now I'm now that I'm in my thirties, I think it's a little bit harder to take those risks and those chances or something.
0: No, no, no. I wouldn't. Sorry, let me just correct something. I got the gender wrong. This is what happens when you go from articles you read twenty years ago. So Adam John Walsh was born November 14th, 1974, and lived until July 27th, 1981. He was an American boy who was abducted from a Sears department store at the Hollywood Mall in Hollywood, Florida, on July 27th, 1981, and was later found murdered and decapitated near Abacoa, Florida. His death earned national publicity. His story was made into the 1983 television film, Adam, seen by 38 million people in its original airing. His father, John Walsh, became an advocate for victims of violent crimes and the host of the television program, America's Most Wanted. So it's not his daughter, it was his son, but uh, I just wanted to put that correction out um, so that uh, people in the YouTube comments can correct me and then realize I've corrected myself and apologize for that, so. um, Okay, so. The risk of passion and commitment is considerable you know a, a lot of people act like fuses right you you know how it works right so you, you, your wiring can only carry so much amperage or voltage whatever so much electrical current can go through you, and so you have this breaker right so if there's a surge, if you get a surge it'll cut right and you plug the Hair dryer in. Well, I don't, but you do. <laughs> Plug the hair dryer in, and half your house goes dark, right? And this, the 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 fuse, right? The breaker switch, which, if I remember rightly, we bypassed with a penny <laughs> when I was younger. But anyway, um, but um, this is what people do. That uh, they they passion is very dangerous for society. Like uh, passion, intensity, integrity is very dangerous for society, for existing power structures and so on, right? And most people are like, um, they're bomb diffusers. You know, they have those Catherine Bigelow directed giant suits that Doberman's going to attack and like they're going in with robots and they're trying to diffuse any personality that shows energy, passion, commitment. And particularly if there's rationality involved as well, right? If you're crazy, they don't mind so much because you're not going to affect many people. But if you're rational and committed and passionate, Then uh, people will work, as we talked with the first caller, people will uh, work like crazy to try and defuse you because they view you as a bomb that is going to go off and destabilize their world. Now, the reality is, to to extend the analogy, people think that we're a bomb, but we're not. We're trying to defuse a bomb. We we talked about this with um, Paul Watson recently where he was saying if people don't have these conversations about migrants and so on, then really bad things are going to result in society as a whole. So we're actually trying to diffuse the bomb. And people think that we are the bomb, but we're trying to defuse the bomb. And they think that if they defuse us, the bomb won't go off. But if they defuse us, if they defuse the reason and evidence people, the bomb, whatever it's gonna be, right, running out of money, some sort of war, some sort of uh, uh, religious or, or racial war or whatever, uh, ethnic war, We're trying to defuse the bomb with conversation, and then people get very anxious because they see us and they see the bomb, and they mistake us for the bomb, right? That's tragically how it works. They mistake us for the bomb. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) And so what they do is they say, oh, no, there's a bomb, and they take out the guy trying to defuse the bomb. (laughs) It's really (laughs) weird. But it's because they can't see the bomb. They think we're the bomb. And so we're trying to avert disaster, those of us who are talking about reason and evidence and facts, and we're trying to avert disaster. And everyone gets mad at us because they they think think we're the disaster. (laughs) Oh, no. The guy who diagnosed the cancer gave me cancer. He's evil. (laughs) Like, no, no, that's just stating the facts, right? And so people want you to not be passionate and committed to bringing rationality into the world because so many people have base their lives, personalities, careers, foundation, relationships, you name it, on being irrational. You know, the, people don't want rationality to displace irrationality in the same way that people don't want a gold-backed currency to displace a fiat currency, because then you end up with these Zimbabwean ass billion-dollar bills that people <laughs> hand out for jokes in monetary conferences about the gold standard, and they can't buy anything with it, right? There's a great uh, scene in a movie called Hotel Rwanda, where the guy, the lead guy uh, tries, the Don Cheadle I think it is, he tries to pay off the thugs with government money and they're like, I, I can't even wipe my ass with this stuff. And they throw it on the ground, right? I mean, that's chilling stuff, right? And that's where the bodies and why the bodies are piling up that and for other reasons which we've talked about with a whole bunch of experts. But um, So if you've got passion and you want to bring some rationality to the world, boom, welcome to massive amounts of, of pushback yeah that's because the fiat currency of irrationality gets revealed as worthless and and in fact toxic by the gold standard of rationality, so people don't want you and last thing sorry last thing I mentioned <laughs> it all comes down to sexual market value bounce tickle, bounce s m v oh yeah. because if if people are manipulative and they're irrational and they're they they trade on their sexuality or they trade on high markers of sexual market value that are kind of not relevant to to virtue and and kindness and love and integrity and courage and all that. So the bullshit sexual market value of the modern world. I'm a hot mess, you know, or uh, you know, I have abs, you know, all of this stuff. Like I don't think that babies care. Babies don't care how pretty their mama is. They care how loving the mom is. And you know, I I've never had my daughter say, you know, if you had an if you had abs, Dad, you'd be a much better dad. <laughs> Doesn't happen that way, right? and so all of this stupid sexual market value stuff that's all shallow and inconsequential and fundamentally manipulative. Um, there's a pretty funny, um, uh, Mindy Kaling has a pretty funny show, um, which I watched because of the guy from, uh, um, damage. Uh, he's, he's a good actor. He's a good comedian anyway. So she's talking about, you know, why she's always late. Uh, and, and she says, uh, you know, like I got to do my hair, I got to do my makeup, I've got to sculpt and contour everything. Talk about her makeup. I got to sculpt and contour everything just so you'll sleep with me I'm basically CGI. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so all of this manipulative crap, well, if, you know, my definition, which I think is a good, rational, healthy definition of love is our involuntary response to virtue if we're virtuous— what that does is all of these people who 've invested in abs and hair extensions and makeup and eyebrows that come on with space lasers or something like all the people who 've invested in, in teeth whitening and you know rather than self knowledge and wisdom and virtue and courage and all that, well, when the gold standard comes along, the fiat currency is revealed as worthless, and so when you start promoting rationality as the means of having relationships as the fundamental value and standard you should have in pursuing your relationships when you start to promote rational virtues as the standard of relationships and love and goodness and and all that is excellent in interactions, well, all the people who've invested all of their energy in falsehood, manipulation, lying, crying, you name it, and and looking pretty, well, what happens to their sexual market value if people start looking for virtue rather than cleavage? (laughs) Yeah, it goes down. (laughs) It's like a Stuka with no pull-up, you know, a big (laughs) shrieking wine and then a German helmet bouncing slowly across the Steven Spielberg smoky landscape, right? So this is, um, when you start messing with people's sexual market value, I mean, they really, really hate you, really hate you. And, And it's perfectly natural that they would because their shallow, stupid, manipulative, crying and lying genes really, really want to survive. And they can't survive if you're... Uh, rational arguments for the pursuit of virtue rather than mere physical sexual appeal if you look for the markers that your children want rather than the markers that your cock wants that's the big (laughs) difference right you shop for a mate buy what your kids want not by what your cock wants not by what porn has instructed you has value but by what is going to who is going to hold and nurture and care for your kids shop for a good mom who by the way will also be a great wife not just for a hot mess that you pray to god never gets pregnant because she's going to throw you in baby jail for approximately 6000 years or at least that's what it's going to feel like
4: yeah. and so
0: if you if you promote virtue then the people who Uh, The people who who, uh, are pursuing manipulation and looks and crap, their sexual market value is going to plummet and they're going to hate you for that. Like if you talk about diminishing the state, then you're talking about stripping a lot of sexual market value from all the people currently gaining benefits from the state. Right. So uh, single moms in particular, right, single moms, because of the state, children become assets rather than liabilities, which raises their sexual market value. And so if you diminish the state, diminish welfare and so on, then their sexual market value goes down because now men have to pay for them rather than, um, well, directly, right, rather than um, uh, getting money from them. Like the girlfriend girlfriend farms in the ghettos where the thugs hang out with the baby mamas and all that kind of stuff, which is not particular to any ethnicity. It happens all over the place. White trash trailer parks as well. Although I don't think a lot of Asians partake of that, but recently we've gotten to before. (laughs) Right. So... This is when you are reorienting society to virtue rather than lying and crying, shallow manipulation, you are expanding or you are raising some people's sexual market value. Virtuous people's sexual market value goes up. Other people's sexual market plummets. And there's no organism alive that will ever, ever not fight viciously to anything that lowers its sexual market value for obvious biological evolutionarily genetic reasons. Anything which is going to harm your sexual market value, you will fight tooth and nail literally to the death. We know this from men. Men go to war because not going to war will catastrophically lower their sexual market value. Go to war, you're probably going to survive. You come back and you can bang a chick in your uniform. (laughs) But if you don't go to war, women won't sleep with you because they're committed, <laughs> women won't sleep with you, genetic death. <laughs> Done. Right? So you'll risk getting your head blown off rather than not being able to dick your, dip your wick. Right? So true. And so, yeah, so so this, when when you're messing with society's values, when you are attempting to elevate society's values, then what you're doing is you are Messing is like equalizer levels, right? You're messing around with people's sexual market value and people whose sexual market value go down. When virtue comes to town, they will fight to the death. They'll scream, they'll rail, they'll spread lies, they'll manipulate, because they don't have good arguments, right? Because they spent all their time doing sit-ups rather than reading a goddamn book but they'll just scream and rail and all that kind of stuff. And this is particularly true, you know, we talked about parents before in this show a couple of times, right? So if parents have been abusive and so on, and then people, you know, crazy people like Dr. Phil come along and say, well, if your parents are abusive, you don't have to spend time with them. Oops, right? They committed to their abuse based on one particular um, uh, belief system that the kids were always going to be forced by social pressure to spend time with them, people like Dr. Phil come along and say, eh, you know, if your parents are abusive, try and work it out, but um, but you don't have to stay with them. It might be the best thing to do to separate them if they're relentlessly abusive, and then people get mad at me because of what Dr. Phil said, but anyway. <laughs> um, so when you when you start messing around with values, you know, why was Socrates killed? Socrates was killed because the sophists, it was, he was taking income away from the people who lied for a living, who, who taught bullshit non-arguments and pretended that they were making people wise and why did they care about losing money because for a man in particular having money at least in the past and to some degree now having money is the mark of high sexual market value and if you take away the money from the sophists and money starts flowing towards the philosophers then what's going to happen is the sophists aren't going to get as much quality poon they're just not going to have the resources to get the higher quality women. And so if you put Socrates to death, then the money's going to start flowing back towards the sophists and they're going to have enough money to have groupies again. And that's what it's all about. This is what it's all about. And so when people talk about getting rid of the welfare state or cutting back on governments, that significantly lowers the sexual market value of women. Cutting teachers, sexual. if teachers can, bad teachers can be fired... Then the women who really like having summers off, the women who – having a wife who's a teacher is huge in terms of sexual market value. Why? Because the stupid goddamn teachers union gives kids summers off so they can forget everything they've learned and get sunburns from their Xbox
4: screens. <laughs> hey, my wife's so, a teacher. Just kidding.
0: <laughs> okay. Is
4: your wife a teacher? She, she is, but she really likes you, Great. so it's okay.
0: <laughs> no, no, and I, I appreciate that. And, and, but, but if your wife wasn't a teacher, what would you do with your kids over the summer? I have no idea. Well, it would be a big mess, right? Yeah. So you your wife being a teacher, boom. Hi, I mean I'm sure she has other qualities. You listen to the show, she likes me. Mwah, great to hear. Obviously a good woman. <laughs> but um teachers, like first of all, bad teachers don't want to be fired because then their sexual market value goes down right because if teachers bring a government paycheck and benefits and pensions and time off and sick days and it's like great my life becomes a whole lot easier if my wife works for the government particularly if she's a teacher because then we don't have to find god-awful sequences of shitty summer camps to put them in over the summer so having a wife who's a teacher fantastic great high sexual market value and then if she loses that job as a teacher or the teacher's union gets privatized or education gets privatized, there's a change. Her sexual market value goes down relative to other women, right? Now, of course, everyone ends up better in the long run, but who cares right. about all of that for the moment, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that old Van Halen song <laughs> that people kept quoting when we had Rebecca Friedrichs on, who was great, you know, I'm hard for teacher. Well, there's something very real about that. You know, teachers can leave school a lot of times at, when the kids do. Right? I mean, this, this god-awful gap, you know, a kid gets get, get out of school at 3.15 in the afternoon, parents don't get home till 6. Oh, no, two hours and 45 minutes of, oh, uh, right? But if the teachers can get out roughly at the same time that the kids do, even if they've got to take the kids home, do some marks and tests or whatever, your life gets hugely easier. If your wife is a teacher, given that governments dominate the unions and the public school pretty much dominates the educational system as a whole. And so when you talk about cutting back on teachers or cutting back on teachers' benefits, you are screwing with people's sexual market value. Because right now, being a teacher in a government-run educational system massively improves your sexual market value because it makes having kids that much more fun and that much more pleasant. And that's the case as a whole. That's the case as a whole. Cutting back on government means chipping away at a largely female-dominated workforce, which means chipping away at women's sexual market value. How do women... Generally react when you chip away at their sexual market value, Max. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I will say
4: this: I we went on a road trip, and I actually played your uh, sexual market one of your sexual market value uh, podcasts. And uh, her first response was uh, was uh, she keeps on to us. No, was was <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, her first response actually was uh, you know by the end of it, she kind of like she you basically were saying a lot of things she didn't want to hear. But after she sat on it and we had discussions about it and I think she listened to maybe a couple other of your of your podcasts with me, uh, she started to get it. She, she was able to, to, to actually see that that was true. And then now she points things out to me about it like about, now she's bringing up sexual market value all the time, but yeah she, uh, yeah, I totally, I totally get what you're saying about. Hopefully
0: that. Hopefully not by flipping open a playgirl.
4: Yeah, it's like, look at this. This It's me. Um,
0: They call him the
1: tripod, right? right?
4: Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, when you start talking about these concepts with people, like especially about state power and, you know, um, you start to really see some cognitive dissonance start to come out because, you know, most people would agree with the non-aggression principle. But then when you start bringing up the connection between that and the state's use of force through like taxation and all that. Then they suddenly start kind of backpedaling and like, wait, wait, what do you, what do you mean? You know, uh, we need a government. We we need them. So it's like, whoa, it's like Stockholm syndrome or something, you know?
0: No. And look, I mean, don't want to beat the Trump, so to speak, too much, but this is, the, the Trump phenomenon has, has a lot to do with sexual market value, a lot to do with sexual market value. And I don't just mean the ungodly hotness of his wife. I mean, who is like, I've never seen a bad photograph of this woman, like a colonoscopy must be like a gentle fly-through of the Grand Canyon <laughs> at sunset because like, holy, like every conceivable, there's no bad angle. You can stick a <laughs> webcam through her toes and it's like, oh my goodness, it's like watching the sun come up over the Martian <laughs> moons. And so not like, and and you know, again, just as a as a guy, as a man, <sighs> I, I look at Jeb Bush's like hobbit wife, you know, <laughs> oh, is it ready for 11th Z's yet? I mean, he might as well, have Frodo Baggins play his, his wife in the movie, right? I mean, looking at Jeb Bush's hobbit wife and their vaguely criminal children, and then you look at Trump's wife, and, you know, it takes a lot of confidence to marry a woman that attractive. You know, the fact that he's got a $100 million penthouse probably doesn't hurt. Yeah. But um, so, so you look at Trump and you say, okay, this guy, he's maximum sexual market value, right? Her hypergamy has basically, like, you, you can't climb past the tip of Everest, right? And <laughs> so um so she, you know it's like angelina jolie you you can't upgrade from brad pitt right because he's considered to be a great actor and, and you know and all that so her hypergamy has reached its summit right and and now she might be the first lady um and just put her on the stamp and everybody will lick it even if all they use is email but um and you know i'm sure she's smart too i've never actually heard her speak and all that but um so clearly, he's high sexual market value for this guy and the confidence to uh, to marry uh, this this kind of woman. But that's not fundamentally it. That's not really what I'm talking about. It just gives me a chance to make a few jokes about his uh, lovely wife. But um, also the fact that he was not himself spanked and he did not spank his children. This is a big thing, too. Uh, Jeb Bush had the crap pounded out of him by Barbara Bush because she was a very harsh mom, as far as I understand it. Oh, yeah, and so realistic. you see...
4: I'm sorry? She got the willow stick out. I'm
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so uh, this is a man who is, who's not been abused, at least physically, um, versus all these other men who have been. I mean, go, go look up Raphael Cruz's, that's Ted Cruz to people who believe the propaganda. Go look up Ted Cruz's father speaking about him. His father is like He's quite committed to his religiosity, <laughs> to put it mildly. And uh, Raphael, uh, sorry, Ted Cruz hits his uh, kids. Uh, and uh, there's a heartbreaking picture I've mentioned before about his kid sort of twisting away. No, ow, ow, and his I dad's trying that. to come in. No, dads. Right? It's horrible, horrible. So this is, right, this is um, uh, non-spanked kids versus spanked kids. And it's really an uneven contest. And, and this is a good argument for peaceful parenting. But anyway, the fundamental sexual market value battle that is going on in uh, America is that people are sick and goddamn tired of having their sexual market value stripped from them in order to subsidize the sexual market value of others. That's all it's really fundamentally about in my humble opinion. There's lots of cultural stuff, but fundamentally it comes down to that, that people who've got some decent coin are sick and tired of having their money stripped away, which lowers their sexual market value and being applied liberally to a bunch of people in order to artificially raise their sexual market value. That's really fundamentally, people are tired of paying for um, uh, endless waves of immigration, where the immigrants are on welfare at far higher rates than domestic population, and illegal immigrants are like more than twice or three times the rate, yes, 20 to 61% of the the, the population. So people are tired, the immigrants are like, stop taking money from my children, stop taking money so that I can afford an nicer car so I can go out and pick up a hotter woman, a better woman, whatever, right? But you're not allowed to talk so about it. So people are – well, but this is the reality. Right, it is a reality. It's the reality. Stop taking my money that I have earned so that you can give a bunch of money to other people so they can have children. Stop, like this, the the tax subsidy – is stripping money from smarter people and giving money to less intelligent people. Of course, the government loves that because it's harder to manage smart people, but you still need the smart people
2: because
0: they got to produce. If everyone's a taker, the whole system collapses tomorrow. But it's really about sexual market value. And what Donald Trump is going to people is going to people and saying, hey, look, I am going to set up a system wherein your sexual market value can increase. This is not what he's saying. He may not even be conscious of it, but... I'm telling you, this is the financial reality of what's happening. People are sick and tired of having money taken away from their families and their children and their dating pool and what they can flash around in terms of getting resources, uh, showing resources to, to get more quality partners. They're just sick and tired of it. And this is why they're saying, no, we don't want more people in here coming in here so that my sexual market value can go down. And their sexual market value can go up. So money is taken from me and given to other people. They're just tired of it. And, and the demographics are very clear. If you want to look at whose sexual market value is declining, just look at the demographics. Which is that white people stop breeding and other groups breed like crazy. That's true. So he's saying, people, <laughs> when we're saying we don't win anymore, what People here is my policies will bring you better sex. My policies will give you the resources to get a wife like mine, people. I know, is it <laughs> look alpha, how many resources male? I have <laughs> and look what I get to trip over and fall onto every night. You can get a wife like mine if you vote for me. I'm gonna bring back your dick juice from China, from Japan, from Mexico. Anywhere that bad deals have stripped your penis of its golden sheen, I am going to go back and polish that till it glows and is visible from space. Yeah, and I think the women who are—I um, am your fluffer. <laughs> I'm your fluffer.
4: Sorry, I was <laughs> going to say. Well, and I think women like my wife. I don't know what that means. Sorry, I don't, right. She. She. Uh, she really likes him because you know she's told me she's like I just like that he's an alpha male for once. You know, I think I think there's the, you know we've talked I've heard a lot of your shows and a lot of conversations just about the just the. Complete, you know, death of masculinity across the board in Western culture, and um, I think he's kind of bringing this, you know, this resurgence of kind of that that end of the spectrum, you know. So, and I think some women are responding positively to that, whereas I'm sure the women, like you're saying, that like to, you know, stomp the sexual market value
0: out of men. Then you know, what I mean, like they're they're like, no. Well, people who've made bad choices. Want other people to backfill them, and that's perfectly natural. It's perfectly it shouldn't be allowed, at least not by force. It's perfectly, it's perfectly natural. So some woman chooses to, and I have these conversations uh, with people, you know, occasionally online, are trying to get dragged in, but occasionally, you know, like, well, it's not my fault that the guy I had children with turned out to be an asshole. Really, positive about that? I'm pretty sure that evolution would have taken care of that a long time ago. Women are exquisitely sensitive to evaluating, they're inquis- exquisitely sensitive to evaluating the potential fitness of women of men who impregnate them. Because any woman who didn't do that on a regular basis would end up collapsing her sexual market value. <clears throat> women are incredibly good. They say, oh, women are so emotionally sensitive, so good at evaluating people, really good judges of character. <clears throat> well, yeah, because they have to be with men it's like are the eggs available i'm in <laughs> right cuz yeah. you know what is what is his commitment right you know seven or eight minutes and a nap with some discontented sighing next to you <laughs> but but for women of course the sexual act is 20 years 20 years with a baby so if they're not good <clears throat> at figuring this stuff out then the gene pools were wiped out the, the genetics were wiped out long ago because they crashed their sexual market value and nobody wanted to have anything to do with them or their offspring or whatever right And so, you know, I'm pretty sure that the ancient ritual of child sacrifice was simply to get rid of the kids, of single moms, so that they didn't grow up to be (laughs) thugs. We'll sacrifice them to the gods so they don't end up cudgeling us in our sleep because we took away their Xbox. So, So this sexual market value stuff is... So important to understand, yeah, Donald Trump is just coming along and saying, okay, we're going to stop taking stuff from you and stop giving it to other people. We're not going to invite more people in who are going to lower your sexual market value. Now, but there is a group who wants lower quality women coming in, and that's the men who can't get (laughs) higher quality women. I'll take the lower quality women. Maybe, you know, the male maybe this this woman from this group will look at me or whatever, but uh, (laughs) but God knows we can't let those cucks be (laughs) driving the debate. Yeah. So good for you. Your wife sounds great, by the way. Yeah, she's please, she's awesome. Please give her my compliments. I
4: will. She'll be happy to hear it. <laughs> she's a very she's a tough cookie. She's a redhead. You don't mess with her.
0: No, they are dangerous <laughs> and volcanic, but very.
4: <laughs>
0: oh. all right. Anything else? So yeah, find something that you care about and. Yeah, I just, something that the world really needs. it's yeah. not just about you satisfying your own particular pleasures. You know, it's important. to uh, <laughs> You know, me.
4: I know. I apologize for that When 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 Mike read the question, I mean, before you even said it, I'm like, you know, that sounds really like, I don't know, delusional or deluded <laughs> or something. You know, I didn't mean it to come.
0: It's to like it's case. like no, it's not delusional. It's just that you're not used to committing to something bigger than yourself, right? I mean, you're you're like most people and, and like me for most of my life, you're just like, okay, what's what's gonna make me happiest, you know, in, in the short run or even the medium run. And this idea that you would commit yourself to a much larger goal and sometimes sacrifice your own peace of mind or pleasures in order to achieve it, well, you know, I mean the people who are willing to make sacrifices are the people who win. That's just the basic reality. People who are willing to make sacrifices are people who are going to win. And um one of the problems with secularism is uh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't usually give people a higher goal than sort of rational, individualistic hedonism, which doesn't help much if you've avoided dangers coming over the horizon for your society as a whole. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good call.
4: Awesome. Well, thank you uh, for everything you do, and uh, just keep keep up the good fight.
0: I'm on it. <laughs> All right. Take care, Stefan.
1: All right. Up next is Peter. Peter wrote it and said, although there have been many benefits of Western imperialism, would defending this contradict our defense of limited government. I'm not anti-colonialist by any means, but I'm not quite sure how to make this argument without sounding like a hypocrite. That is from Peter.
0: Hello, Peter. How you doing? Hi, good. Good to be here. Good. So why do you care about colonialism? Just out of curiosity. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just, what's your take on it? Why is it important for you?
5: Yeah, well, um, you know, the subject had never really bothered me. You know, I, for the last few months, I've been um, doing a lot of research on Western civilization history and, um, you know, just trying to dissect the politically uh, correct version um, that's just so prevalent. And, um but what really uh, got my attention was I noticed a tweet from this guy, uh, J. Stephen Roberts, who is the creator of a channel called Real Crusades History. Um, you should definitely check him out. Um, he he uh, dissects the politically correct version of the Crusades and spoke highly of your video, by the way, on the Crusades. Uh, anyway, uh, what he wrote was, uh, why is there always an assumption that imperialism is bad? Didn't Roman imperialism bene- uh, enormously benefit its subject states? And, um It got to me because I was thinking, well, yeah, there were a lot of benefits that the Roman Empire had on um, its European um, denizens. But at the same time, you also have to look at the fact that it did it in a way that was through the initiation of force in the sense that, you know, does does the spread of civilization, literacy, you know, uh, philosophy and all of these virtues that we have, is it justified, um, by using the sword and, uh, it, it, uh, created a conflict in me because I was thinking, well, yeah, these are benefits, but I mean, ha- I, I don't see how I can defend, you know, an empire that, uh, slaughtered thousands to get this point across and I'm not, I'm not, um like anti-the Roman Empire or anything. I, I'm really interested in ancient history and appreciate a lot of the individuals that lived during that time. I'm just, I, it, it's more so that I'm playing devil's advocate. I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, someone would take that argument and be like, oh, well, so are you defending these brutal conquests and oppressive regimes? So it, it's sort of, um, you know, a dilemma I have.
0: You ever seen The Life of Brian?
5: <clears throat> I've not yet seen it. I'm planning on it.
0: All right, here is my rendition of a very pivotal scene in the life of Brian. These revolutionaries who hate the Romans are talking about driving the Romans away, right? Mm -hmm. One guy says, they've bled us white, the bastards. They've taken everything we had, and not just from us, from our fathers, and from our fathers' fathers. And another guy says, and from our fathers' fathers' fathers. Yeah, and from our fathers' 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 fathers. Yeah, yeah, all right, Stan, don't labor the point. And what have they ever given us in return? And then there's this long pause. Guy says, the aqueduct? (laughs) What? The aqueduct? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that did give us, yeah, that's true, yeah. The other guy says, and the sanitation. Oh, yeah, the sanitation, Reg. Remember what the city used to be like? Yeah, all right. I'll grant you the aqueduct and the sanitation are the two things that the Romans have done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously the roads. I mean, the roads go without saying, don't they? But apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct, and the roads. Irrigation? Medicine? Education? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Fair enough. And the wine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's something we'd really miss, Reg, if the Romans left, huh? Public baths? Oh, yeah. And remember, it's it's safe to walk in the streets at night now, Reg. Yeah, they certainly know how to keep order. Let's face it. They're the only ones who could in a place like this. All right. But apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a freshwater system, and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace? Oh, peace. Shut up. So that's... um. My rendition of the scene from the Life of Brian, and I think that is um, somewhat important. I mean, there's this myth, you know, and we hear this uh, all the time that uh, Africa was like great, wonderful, fantastic, um, and then um, the evil white Western colonialists that came along, you see, and they stole all of the wealth of the Africans, right? Mm-hmm. You you may have heard that that we myth from oh, yeah. time to time, but
5: but they never mention you know the Arab conquest that happened as
0: well, and that's but yeah. Well, they don't continues. mention that. Yeah, yeah, they don't mention that. But also, um, they don't mention the fact that before <laughs> sub-Saharan Africa, right before the Europeans came, no written language, no wheel, hadn't gotten round to the wheel yet, barely any roads, no two-story buildings, um, living like savages. And if you look at Africa during the period of colonialism versus prior to colonialism, life expectancy went up, modern medicine, roads, two-story buildings, air conditioning. Like Africa is a hell of a lot more habitable now than it was before the Europeans came. And there are many more blacks in sub-Saharan Africa than there ever were before the Europeans came. And life expectancy, I mean, the, the, the population in South Africa tripled under white rule just from like 1900 to 1955 or something like that we got a whole the truth about south africa um and, and all of that which people can check out that presentation for more on that but um yeah colonialism was uh you know i just i'd like to throw people back in time to where before the europeans came and then you know see see how it was afterwards now don't get me wrong colonialism was wrong it was wrong Uh, And, you know, it shouldn't have been done. It was the initiation of force against domestic citizens. There was tax increases to pay for it. There was conscription to pay for it. I mean, it was horrible. Uh, There was this, you know, this optimistic white man's burden that is still the curse of Europeans, which is, okay, we figured some really important stuff out. Boy, did we ever – really great stuff we figured out. We now know free market, science, limited democracy, small government, rule of law – minimal amounts of laws uh, separation of church and state you know some really good really good stuff went down man and they then to some degree right some of it was not good and some of it was good but they had this idea which is well, we figured out some really good stuff and we now want to share it with the world right so they went around the world and they tried to do what America tried to do with Iraq, right? Which is, you know, we're going to take all the good stuff that we've learned. And now we are going to uh, turn them into us, right? Because they're just like us. They've just got this bad ruler, right? It's Saddam Hussein, they got this bad ruler, but they're just, they yearn for freedom. They're just like us. So we go out, we get rid of their bad rule, and they're going to turn into us. And this was the general theory around a lot of Western imperialism, colonialism, you name it, right? And that theory is wrong. The theory is false. And, and all of the disasters of uh, the West and the rest of the world have followed from the fact that that theory, that hypothesis is probably by the way. Hypothesis is wrong. Um, ethnicities are not the same around the world. They have strengths, they have weaknesses, they have adapted to the local environments and you cannot Just go and change another country, another culture, another genetic set, another ethnicity, another race. You simply can't go and do it. And this has happened so repeatedly over and over and over again. And um, I just talked about this with another researcher that we're talking to about these issues. Um, this happens a lot, right? So you go to sub-Saharan Africa where the average IQ is 70, which means that, you know, that's at the level of mental retardation in the West. And half the population is below that. And you go and build them something functional. You go away. And a couple of years later, it's all been broken up and sold for parks. It doesn't work. They never got the replacement parts. And it's natural. I mean, it's it's the way things are. doesn't mean there aren't smart blacks all the usual caveats and so on, right? But in that particular area of the world, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, you can't fundamentally change that society. Um, from the outside. And so the West should have stayed home and continued to work on ex- expanding freedoms within their own countries and cultures and said, hey, you know, if anybody, you know, wants to come and learn, yeah, okay, come learn and observe and, you know, you can read our law books and you can read our constitution and it's not a secret and then you can go back home and do it in your own countries if you want because, you know, the uh, it's like the, the first pill to make is really, really expensive. <laughs> the second pill... It's a whole lot cheaper, right? So first pill costs like $100 million to make, and the second pill costs a buck to make, and then people wonder why pills are so expensive because you've got to normalize that out. But um, yeah, colonialism was wrong, and it was fundamentally self-destructed, and it was founded on the idea that Europeans had that if we go and teach other people what we Europeans have evolved into, that the world is going to become just like Europe. And um, it's not the case. It's not the case. All you have to do is look at Detroit, for for the example of that. Like a very prosperous city when it was majority white. Very prosperous. One of the jewels of America. Motown, the Motor City. Huge, um, peaceful communities, uh, very high income, and so on. And then the blacks move in, and the whites move out, and it turns into like mini Heidi. And it would be even worse than it is right now if it wasn't for the massive infusion of government money uh, with regards to this stuff. And... Um, it is just the way things are, and it's, a, it's one of these horrible, um, unpleasant, incredibly regrettable, wish-it-were-different-but-if-wishes-were-horses-beggars-would-ride realities of the world. And people like the amount of stuff that's invented to try and pretend that this is not the case. You know, people say to me, oh, well, the blacks are doing badly in America, not because they have an average IQ of 85, which is higher than sub-Saharan Africa because of a 20% admixture with European genes. In other words, they managed to extract some of the gene sets that were developed by people's willingness to bang the orcs known as Neanderthals a couple of hundred thousand years ago, uh, which significantly advanced uh, European intelligence as far as I understand it. So, okay, some people, you know, found some bent-over orcs and did some unpleasant things with them so that we could all be smart. (laughs) You know, I was waiting for a good metaphor, but apparently my (laughs) non-neanderthal brain took over at that moment. Or maybe I'm just thinking about orc sex. Orc porn. I'm sure there's a website for it. But anyway. It's appealing. I'm sorry? It's appealing. (laughs) Is it appealing? To some, maybe. I don't know. You're into it. So, yeah, the Europeans wanted to go out and, and do all of this great stuff in in the world but did not understand the biology of these kinds of differences and uh, so because of that they expended a huge amount of resources in the west trying to bring quote civilization to the rest of the world uh, rather than do what the chinese did and just stay home at least for some portion of their history uh and so um yeah colonialism was wrong it was an immoral thing it was certainly the most benevolent colonialism that has ever occurred you know you just compare and contrast, say, Islamic colonialism with, say, British colonialism, and it's not hard to figure out which empire you'd rather be un- oh, yeah. under and which empires which countries have survived this um uh this transition better. Um, you know, the Islamic imperialism has resulted in Islamic countries. And the British imperialism well, after they left, well, the countries were returned to their original rulers, uh, but in far better states than when they first uh, arrived. Because people say, oh, why have blacks doing so badly? And say, oh, well, you know, the history of slavery and so on. Eh, pfft, you know, all slaves, lots of slaves all over the world, tons of slaves all over the world. And I point out, of course, that um, the Jews who came to North America after fleeing persecution in uh, Europe, it took them four years to get to the average per capita income of whites. And blacks have been around for 400 years and have certainly been freed for 150 to some degree and Jim Crow and a lot of this stuff has ended uh, a couple of generations ago and there's still nowhere near to white parity and you can't and certainly no even further away from Asian parity parity with Asians there is because of IQ and and we can't change that or, or fix that and so on uh and um yeah you, know, you can't you know bleach IQ like whatever the hell Mike and Jack, Michael Jackson did in his massive goal to turn from a black man into I don't know Diana Ross or Elizabeth Taylor or something like that and you just you can't just reach into the brain and, and change it. This is a very developed and um, finely tuned organ, um, specifically tuned for a particular environment. And so people say, oh, history of slavery and racism and so on. Well, the racism argument is, is trickier, right? Because if the blacks do on average have a lower IQ, then that at some point that's going to seep into <laughs> people's consciousness. And that doesn't mean, of course, you judge all blacks by the same standard. It would be racist to do so. But nonetheless, at an aggregate level, it's going to start to uh, to show up. And um, so people um, are expending huge amounts of effort and energy trying to explain away something. Uh, and political correctness is reaching the end of its cycle, I think, right? I mean, in that it's becoming so openly hysterical and, and it's deviating so far from the basic lived reality of people that um, it's just become, it's become an embarrassment. This idea that White people or Asian people just wake up every morning and try and figure out, you know, they don't think really about their kids, they don't think about their lives, they don't worry if, you know, the lump in their neck is mal- malignant or not. They all they do is just try and figure out how to make and keep black people and Hispanic people poor. And I mean, it's just
5: it's like the Matrix, the, the way they talk about. it. I remember my brother, who's um, is a huge college leftist. Uh, he was his argument was once, oh, you know there there are just some things we white people just can't see that other black people that uh, no that just black people can that's that's why we're blind to this kind of racism i'm like i i have no idea what to say to that i mean
0: well, what <laughs> well that's a non-falsifiable hypothesis you know it's like the, the comments exactly. that i get on some of my videos where people say argument, well not an argument yeah exactly. yeah no but it's like the people say well you know you're a white guy you just can't ex- ex- understand and appreciate and, and live within the skin of a black guy and you'll never be able to it's like okay well then aren't you just arguing for racial separation then like if i have a 400 years of close proximity living there's just no conceivable way <laughs> to ever figure out what the other race's experience is it's like okay well then you know, if that was a marriage, right, and if after, you know, let's just take, you know, last two generations as, you know, with affirmative action and so on, a lot of attempts to sort of make up the the gaps and so on and it really hasn't worked hugely well. It's like, okay, well, if people have been married for 40 years and the woman is screaming at the guy like, you just, you never understand me. You'll never understand what I'm going through. You'll never have any clue what my experience is. You'll never have any comprehension of, of what it's like to be me. It's like, okay, well, then shouldn't we get divorced then? Cause like if we've lived together 40 years, I still have no clue. The other thing too, is that, you know, um, try being a, try being a white person, right? I mean, did, did the black people ever say, well, and again, most black people aren't this way inclined. I'm talking like the activists or people like your brother, like the, sure, the, sure. the real, uh, you know, I mean, most black people I'm sure could, would like all these people to go away as well, but it's not about to, to happen. But uh, you know, do, do these black activists, do they say, "Well, I, I wonder if I really know what it's like to be white," or it's just, "Oh, you got to figure out what it's like to be me." It's like, well, shouldn't you also be trying to expend some energy and ask me what it's like to be white in a world where people can scream racism at you and destroy your life in a moment yeah. if you have, you know, not some kind of dispersed out gig like I do? Yeah,
5: I think you brought up the point too before um, you were saying. I think I think it was Europe, but I think it also applies here too um, that. Men are simply refusing to fight back when um, minorities attack them because they would rather be put in or no they would rather uh, be a victim of violent crime than you know, have their entire life you know just be stripped from them because you know it, it's, it's just going to um, inevitably the blame's going to shift to them for responding to that
0: Yeah, like I saw this graphic, and I, I'm not saying I agree with all of this or any of it, but I thought it was an interesting perspective. Well, it's a graphic. It said, what is black privilege? What is black privilege? Black privilege is being able to take pride in your race without fear of persecution. Black privilege is when people assume you are poor because of racism, not because you're lazy. Black privilege is being wealthy without people assuming your wealth was handed to you or that you exploited others. Black people is being able to commit violent crimes against other races without people assuming you are a racist. Black privilege is being given affirmative action which advantages you in jobs and colleges based upon your skin tone. Black privilege is having the media cover up your race in the event of a black flash mob or a gruesome murder. Black privilege is being able to make insensitive comments about other races and not being called out on it. Black privilege sorry black privilege is when people assume that the police pulled you over not because of, because of racism, not because you were speeding. Black privilege is being able to preserve and promote your culture and having your culture protected from criticism. Black privilege is being able to blame your shortcomings on racism. Black privilege is when people consider you to be superior at sports or quote better in bed without it being considered racist. Black people is not having to be fearful of offending minorities. Black privilege is having the establishment lie to cover up problems in your community or protect you from criticism. Black privilege is when you can be overrepresented in a certain field without people trying to amend it. Black privilege is having the government pander to your interests in order to get the black vote. Can you imagine Donald Trump saying he was out to get the white vote? People go insane. But... Democrats in particular can always talk about getting the Hispanic vote, the black vote. and right Black privilege is having Hollywood always present your race in a positive light. Have you checked your black privilege today? Now, again, I mean, whether I agree with all of that, I don't know. But I just think it was an interesting perspective that, you know, one of these things that makes you go, hmm, <laughs> there's something to to ponder or to mull over. And again, I mean, if it's incomprehensible to understand what other races are going through, then... Isn't that just an argument for some some sort of voluntary racial separation? I mean, if I'm never going to understand what a black guy is going through, then why you know why would I bother trying? I mean, and certainly I've not noticed a lot of black people asking white people, you know, what is it like for you guys um, being being white in this society? I mean, just doesn't seem to be um, doesn't seem to be what people are interested in whatsoever. And uh, yeah, also, I mean, the the number of fake racial ho- hoaxes that are going on, um, you know, where, you know, blacks say, oh, this terrible racist thing happened and it either turns out to be a, a fake or whatever, right? So there was a bunch of KKK people supposedly really pro-Trump, right? So um, we can put this link uh, in the description below or whatever, right? So a bunch of KKK members out there, ah, oh, Trump, make America great again. I I really... Support Trump and and all this, uh, the the New England Police Benevolent Association support Trump, we support Trump, and they're in their KKK masks. But these um, not-so-smart activists forgot that their hands are black. (laughs) They have black hands. So it's a bunch of black guys out there pretending to be in the KKK supporting Trump. Hmm. That is not a very positive and fair addition to the public debate about politics. Hey, we're black guys. Let's dress up as KKK guys and pretend to support Trump. Not an argument. <laughs> <laughs> and again, look, I mean, this is not most black people would like be as horrified. But, you know, nonetheless, this is I don't notice that a lot of white guys dre- dressing up as blank pa- Black Panthers to support Hillary Clinton. Of course, most people probably think that's great. But, yeah, I mean, the Black Panther organization um, can get away with stuff that would never even be remotely countenanced from a white, white group. And, yeah, there is, uh, I think it's the pendulum has gone, let's just say, it could be argued that the pendulum has gone a little bit too far mm. to the other side. All right, anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, yeah, I mean, that pretty
5: much covers it. I mean, I was... Uh... I, I've been giving it a lot of thought since I saw that tweet, and um, following it I watched your video about the truth about colonialism and empire, and I agree with a lot of that, how your main point is essentially, you know, when people bring up, you know, the history of um, the atrocities committed by Western civilization, you know, your response was, you know, well, have you asked them about, you know, the Islamic conquest, the Islamic slavery, all that? And uh, I thought that was a good point. And
0: um, Yeah, it's... It, it, people, I mean... All, all that happens is that the the Muslims will basically not care, and the white people will give you money, and and that's just bad. You know, the the real racism is is white people surrendering to white guilt. Yeah, exactly. Right. That that, that that's the real racism is is pandering. You know, treat blacks as equals, treat women as equals, treat Hispanics as equals. That that's the way I approach things. I mean, the way I say to myself is okay, well, if 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 a group of if any group, whether it's a white group or red haired people, had these kinds of privileges, would I say something about it? Well, of course they would, because it's unjust and it's unfair. If if the media was in general obsessed with covering up the crimes of red haired people, I'd call them out on it, right? In the same way I call them out on untruths about Donald Trump and other things that we've talked about with regards to the media. So I'm just treating um Ah, uh, blacks—the way that I would treat any other group—it's not at all racist. <laughs> it's mean, the whole point, right? It's racist to to make excuses for people. It's racist to to say to the black community, "Oh, it's all white people's fault. There's nothing you can fix in your communities whatsoever. It's got nothing to do with the illegitimacy rate. It's got nothing to do with dropping out of school. It's got nothing to do with the rap culture. It's got nothing to do with with this obsession with racism. Nothing, nothing, none of your fault. That is so insulting to black people as a whole." Yeah. Uh, making excuses for other people is a great way to keep them on the democratic vote plantation. But anyway, so.
5: Yeah. yeah, It's essentially, um, you know, uh, I, I think the thought I came to at the end of the day was, you know, imperialism, conquest, you know, is immoral. But at the same time, there were some unintended benefits that came with the Romanization of Europe and say the, you know, the British Empire in India and all that. And, um, you know, I asked my friend about it once and he was talking, he said, you know, not everything's black and white. There are good and bads of, of every situation in history. So you have to weigh each, um, historical event individually. And, um, you know,
0: at this moment, I think that's, I think that's a fair argument. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, but you might want to just dig in deeper and basically just point out that, yeah, you know, if you call white people racist, they'll pay you money to go away. Oh no, you, no yeah, true, true. Yeah, I mean that—that's all that. I mean, I—I I just there's no other rational explanation for all of this stuff. Yeah, if you, if you, if you yell at white people, they'll feel bad and they'll pay you money because Catholicism, because guilt, because whatever, right? I mean, it's because uh, pathological altruism and ridiculously exaggerated outgroup preferences. I mean, it's got nothing to do with any objective evaluation of history. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of like uh, it's like to me looking at historical revisionism or sort of modern leftist historicalism is Coward's is basically in. like I'm sorry, Howard Zinn. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's it's quite simple, and and all it is is if you see uh, you know a bunch of kids up here in Canada, probably be a hockey team or something, right? There's a bunch of kids, and there's a a vending machine, right? And the vending machine has like Skittles and That god-awful concoction known as coffee crisp and other things that uh, kids like, right? Mm. And one of the kids says, hey, you know, if you hit hit the machine right here, candy comes out. You get a free candy bar. What do the kids do? Hit the vending machine in that spot. They hit the vending machine until it runs out of candy. And then they're all hopped up on candy and... (laughs) They get really angry when it runs out of candy and they're fighting over the candy and they're hitting the machine because the machine coughs up the candy if you hit it in a certain spot. Right. And that's all of this stuff is. To me, this whole racism debate, it's all just, oh, look, um, white people, if you hit them on this spot, they'll cough up candy. <laughs> you get free stuff. You get uh, uh, you get grants. You get loans. You get preferential treatment in your job. You get hired. You get, I mean, so we don't want to compete. We just want to hit the, you know, they won't go out and work for the, hit the candy machine. Out comes to candy and the kids are just swarming it. And again, some of the kids are standing back and saying, <laughs> you know, bunch of savages, right? And the kids is a bunch of sugar, sugar addicts or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh black people are critical critical of this uh, stuff too. But in, in a way you can't blame the kids. You, you just, you got to fix the vending machine. Mm. And that just means you got to grit your teeth and say no to unequal t- treatment of anyone. You got to say no to unequal treatment. Like, Slavery? Yeah, it was bad. It was so bad that white people ended it. You're welcome, world. Right. But why the people who ended slavery would be the ones who should pay? No. The white people already paid to end slavery. Hundreds of thousands of lives, trillions and trillions of dollars, racing around the world, ending slavery. White people have already paid for ending slavery. Do they get thanks? Nope. Because the vending machine coughs up candy when you hit it in the racism spot. And uh, right white people have to grit their teeth and say, well, I'm really glad that some white people ended slavery. I'm not going to take any credit for it because I didn't do it. And I don't have to go out and fight Muslim Barbary pirates so they'll stop castrating North African men. I don't have to go out and get scurvy because no one's figured out that a couple of squirts of orange juice will keep your teeth in your head. I don't have to go and do all these god-awful things. All I have to do is continue the anti-racism that has been uh, the hallmark of the Western European approach to the world compared to every other culture. I just have to continue the anti-racism by simply gritting my teeth and refusing to treat the races or the genders differently. That's all. That's all we have to do. And uh, will people get mad at you and yell at you? Of course. The kids get angry when the machine runs out of candy. But we all know it's better for everyone involved in the long run. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate your call. Welcome back anytime. Thanks a lot. Have a good one.
1: All right. All right. Up next, we have Alex. He wrote in and said, In history, there have been philosophers and self-proclaimed atheists like Ayn Rand and Nietzsche who championed ideas of free will from both the church and the state. Today, secularism has become mainstream ideology in the state, but I feel it has lost its way to what its original intentions were supposed to be. I feel that some atheists no longer care at all about encouraging freedom of expression, but instead support a dogma of totalitarian state where slavery for the sake of equality is more important than anything else. As a libertarian, can we find any way to reconcile those who support the totalitarian state? I almost said that, right? Or do we need to find those who can join us together in the cause of fighting the morally bankrupt Obama administration, regardless of who they are? That is from Alex.
0: All right, Alex. I think you win the prize for the least comprehensible question. Or maybe it's just because it's late in the show. (laughs) But, uh... Can you boil that down for me a tiny bit?
2: Yeah, I guess it's not the best question in hindsight, especially uh, looking... 42! 42. 42. <laughs> uh, I guess it's kind of started from the fact that um, I'm from uh, Iowa and we had our caucus going on and the Trump phenomenon here has been uh, sort of splitting lines in the sand in ways I've never seen it. Um, basically, I was associated with a local atheist group. Um, for a long time oh
0: they must have hated trump right oh
2: no more than hated trump uh they more than hated they asked me to get out of the group kicked me out
0: oh you were banished from the atheists for having some empathy or sympathy for trump
2: no what i did you see i I guess i'll start from the beginning i'm a big fan of your i'm a big fan of your show real big fan of your show i watch it religiously all the time fantastic your your rhetoric empowers people like me to speak their mind. You said something about how one of your main messages has been we don't speak up. We don't fight for anything. We libertarians and atheists have this to do. We should just bury ourselves in the ground and not say anything to anybody because you know we're a minority. or We're not big enough. There's not enough. And I said well to hell with it. I'm going to tell them I support Donald J. Trump. Said it to their faces and they told me get the hell out of the group. And kicked me out. And I stood was there. Was that it?
0: You said, I support Trump. And they said, get out. That was the extent of their.
2: Well, they were all supporting Bernie Sanders. I even had other libertarians there saying, I'm voting for Bernie Sanders. And I was like, what happened? Libertarians voting for Bernie Sanders? It's, it's, it's Iowa. It's,
0: we're weird. We're always weird. We've... I, I can't accept that as an argument. <laughs> I can't accept that we're weird as an argument or as a, an explanation for anything.
2: Well and, and I sat there and I've been, you know, I'm kind of a I like philosophy a lot. I read Ayn Rand, I read uh uh I've read uh I was currently reading uh Thus Spoke Zarathustra, very interesting. Uh basically I guess I'm I'm kind of in a quandary where I've never had this much of an argument or, or a shutdown from other atheists, people calling me racists and uh, Nazi sympathizer, and all this other crazy stuff. Never been called this stuff before. And there's just, it's this total meltdown of society. And I've kind of been marginalized. Uh, kind of just thrown out in the cold and
0: said, figure no, it no, out. No, no, no. Listen, listen, man. But you've got to understand that this you're not marginalized. You've escaped. No, I really get that feeling. You're out of prison, man. Because, look, again... There may be great reasons to to oppose Donald Trump or, or to question people's support for Donald Trump, but huh. Nazi racist crap? I mean, that's just come on. I mean, it's so funny how these atheists are treating you as a heretic. Oh, I am a heretic. It... I mean, that's that's so sad. Okay, have some good reasons, have some good evidence, have some good arguments. Great. Let's dig it in. And and is it because is it because are atheists really Angry that Donald Trump would like some kind of pause in theocratic fundamentalist Muslim immigration. Does that really bother? Well, does that really bother atheists so much that Hispanics who are very religious and Muslims who are very religious might not find it as easy to gain access to America? How on God's green acre is it possible for atheists who support the state in general? To think that having fewer religious fundamentalists come into America is really bad for atheism. I mean, that's mental.
2: I think it's fear. I, I, I think it's fear. It's it's a fundamental fear. Um, there's there's a it's of what? It's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's of what? That doesn't explain anything. Well, it's like this. Imagine imagine I'll I'll try to articulate it as best I can here. Think of you, you have 40 years of the progressive movement, starting with the 60s, sexual revolution, Martin Luther King, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We know the history of it. And they see Donald Trump as being the end of this. This is the end of that progress. It's a flat-footed, this is the end of the story. And they're terrified of it.
0: What story? What story?
2: The, the progressive liberal leftist movement is facing something they've never seen before. George W. Bush was nothing compared to the likes of this guy. This guy can go on stage, like just, to, just yesterday. He, he, he says, I'm going to build a wall, I'm going to kick out the illegals, and 44% of Hispanics
0: in Nevada vote for him. That's madness. That's insanity. It's not madness. It's, not, it's perfectly... The only way that you could be shocked at Hispanics voting for Trump is if you're a complete racist. In other words, all Hispanics have to have the same opinions, the same perspectives. They have to love all Hispanics, no matter what. In other words, there can't ever be such a thing as Hispanic on Hispanic rape or theft because they must all want to have sex with each other and all give each other stuff because they're all just one giant blob. No, there are Hispanics who really don't want the Mexican system to follow them over the border and they'd love for there to be a wall. For sure, there are Hispanics who make a lot of money, very smart, entrepreneurial, they pay a lot of taxes and they would really like to see fewer Hispanics on welfare. This idea that Hispanics are just one giant Borg blob that all have the same interests is so unbelievably racist. I don't even know how anyone, not you, but anyone speaks it with a straight face. Rich Hispanics, competent, smart, entrepreneurial, hardworking Hispanics don't like the Hispanics or anyone for that matter on welfare, cranking out babies like crazy and not getting married. And they don't like to see their taxes go up and they do not want to see where they've moved to to get away from Mexico go into another Mexico. So they don't want – they know that the highest quality Hispanics have probably already left Mexico. So they know that all the Hispanics who are following are really on the left-hand side of the bell curve of ability and intelligence. Exactly. So they don't – they don't – they're not all one group. Of course, oh, you've got to get the Hispanic vote. Anybody who says – gotta go get the Hispanic vote, gotta go get the black vote, is unbelievably racist. They're not one group. They're not one group. They're a bunch of blacks on welfare, a bunch of whites on welfare, and a bunch of Hispanics on welfare. And they all have significant motive to keep the welfare state going, to keep taxes high because they don't pay taxes. They receive money from the taxes other people pay. There are lots of smart, intelligent uh, blacks, Asians, uh, Hispanics, and and whites, and they all have a different financial set of motivations. And there's lots of gradations and there's lots of discrepancies. There are poor people on welfare who want to see the welfare state ended. There are rich people who want to raise taxes. It's all very complex. But this idea, it's like, well... uh, (laughs) All the Hispanics got to go for the Hispanic vote. It's insane. It's, it's, It's literally so collectivist and so racist to think that they're all just one big giant blob who just vote all the same way and all that the Hispanics are ever going to do is vote for other Hispanics. And it's not just white people who do this. Jorge Ramos was talking about this. You know, you can't get into uh, the White House without the, uh, without the Hispanic vote. And, and it's so racist. you gotta got to court the Hispanic vote. you got to give the Hispanics what they want because apparently they all just want one damn thing, uh, which is more Hispanics coming in and more government welfare. And it's like, if that's true then it's perfectly legitimate to be incredibly racist towards Hispanics, right? I mean, it's not true. But if it were true, if it were true that Hispanics all want one thing, which is leftist big government super spending and taxing of non-Hispanics who are generally poorer, then white people and and Asians and Jews and successful everyone on the planet – would be incredibly justified in being super racist towards Hispanics, who apparently all just want the same thing. And it's funny to me that people say, well, if you support Trump, then you are racist. Well, Hispanics, Hispanics do incredibly well. Hispanics, uh, Sorry, Trump does very well among Hispanics. So what are people going to say to the Hispanics who support Trump? Do they hate themselves? Do white people know what Hispanics want more than the Hispanics themselves who vote for Trump? It's insane.
2: It is. It, 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 it really is. And I suppose what – I guess what I have this really hard time comprehending, and this is probably because I approach it from such a common sense perspective, is you've got the first real Republican candidate who's not that religious – if, at best, religious, he's been married three times, he's got a great business sense, a very common sense personality. Okay, I love him. I think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, this is coming from someone who's an American citizen, so of course I'm probably going to be a bit biased. But I don't get why why an atheist—I Why I mean, my atheist subgroup is just, it's just one little, 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 very small slice of this big, big pie. But I don't get the fear. The fear makes no sense to me. What is it about this guy that makes people lose their minds, go off in these tirades, and i 'm sitting here hitting gain the brunt of it. I just don 't get it
0: Yes, so um, your question, if I remember it rightly, was uh, why why do the atheists find it so difficult to um, what to support Trump?
2: what What makes them lose their minds i 've never seen this before i 've never seen anything of this scope of this scale. I've had multiple Facebook friends abandon me for supporting him. I've had groups tell me to get out. I've had uh, my job. I talked about him a little bit here and there because I wanted to be public about my opinions for once instead of shutting up all the time. Because I get so tired of shutting up. I think a lot of us do. And I don't get the I don't get the reaction. What is it about this guy that scares people so much? That's probably one of my biggest questions every day.
0: Why is he so scary? And do you know what the politics are of these atheists in general? They're all socialists, all of them. Oh, okay, well, then why is that confusing?
2: (laughs) I was hoping to have a little bit more intellectualism. I was hoping for a bit more uh, discussion. I I, I like to challenge people. I like to hold people down, put them in a a headlock, as you say, and say, let's have a good old rompous discussion about why I disagree with you, and maybe we can be friends.
0: People don't like that. A lot of people. Well, yeah, a lot of people, not everyone. Yeah, so they're socialists. They are but, I mean it's a little bit more incomprehensible as to why the um, uh, why the uh, libertarians would be would be voting to yeah, the socialists. That's, that's what really gets me. Why the libertarians? I mean Okay, well let's one one at a time, okay? Sure. So they're addicts. Socialists are addicts for the dopamine of moral posturing. They don't care whether what they do helps people any more than a cocaine addict cares about whether his cocaine addiction helps farmers of cocoa in Mexico. They don't care. They're they're chasing the dopamine hit called moral self-congratulation, moral posturing. So they don't care whether the policies they advocate help or hurt the groups that they say they want to help and hurt the poor, the minorities, or whatever. They don't care. They care about getting the dopamine hit, and it literally is a physical addiction. They care about getting the dopamine hit of feeling that they're doing good. Now, feeling that you're doing good is a whole lot easier than doing good, right? You just have to find some group right. that all yell the same slogans and just continue to repeat everything that that group says, right? That's all you have to do. right? And so they are doing all of that stuff and they don't care. And, and now what Donald Trump is coming along, he's coming along and he's saying, you're not doing the good that you think you are. You're not doing the good that you believe you are. Now, moral self-congratulation and the addiction that it represents only works if you continue to have the delusion that you're doing good. Right? Right. And so these people all think, well, I don't know, open immigration, open borders, everyone comes in. That's good. That's good for everyone, Right. And Donald Trump is saying, no, it's not good for everyone. In fact, it's really bad for a lot of people, people who pay taxes, people who want to compete with these people on the marketplace and so on, uh, people who want their kids to be educated without there having to be 12 teachers who speak 14 different languages. People don't want their tax money going into buying school books in Urdu for people who can't speak English, right? People don't want... Cultures coming in that are radically opposed to limited government uh, in any form because they want limited government and you're bringing in people who are going to prevent them. So, Donald Trump is basically posing to the successful people in America of all races and cultures, he's basically saying to them, What's in it for you? Exactly. What's in it for you?
2: Um, What's in it for you? Higher taxes, uh, enslavement. Of both mental and physical energy. Uh, No future for me and any family future. I mean, I'm basically paying other people's
0: lifestyles in a nutshell. Yeah. Exactly. So you you get to pay more taxes. You get to have fewer job opportunities. You get the government. The government has to borrow more. The welfare state expands. More government unions. More teachers. More bills. More overhead countercultures, more areas that you can't live in. And, and not only that, but you get the ungodly joy of being called a racist if you even remotely question the value of this in any way, shape or form. What possible rational benefit can you give to successful people in America for more third world immigration? What, like just forget about the ideology and the whatever open border. Just from a practical standpoint, who looks at a school where their kids are being reasonably well-educated and say, you know, it'd be great if we took about half the funding that could go towards my child's education and go towards educating kids who dislike my values in another language. Like, who who would say that? Like, who, who would say, that's great?
2: The people who want to consolidate power and want to maintain the power. I mean,
0: power corrupts absolutely. You know? Yeah, but I mean, in terms of like, the, the, the people on the receiving end, well, of course they, you know, of course they like it, right? I mean, that's the, that's the, of course they're going to be pro it, right? right? The people who want to come into America are pro it. The Democrats are pro it because they get voters. Uh, the government unions are pro it. The, you know, tons of people are for it, but they're all the people on the receiving end of the tax largesse, right? Of course they're for it. I mean, it's like asking for the guy who just won the lottery. What do you think of the lottery? It's great, right? Exactly. So great, I could audition to be a tiger on a cereal box, right? So, but, but what Donald Trump is doing is he's saying to the people who are paying the bills, what's in it for you? What's the benefit? Places you can't live. People who are going to call you racist drives your wages down, increases your tax bills, lowers the quality of your children's education, adds to the national debt, undermines your capacity to collect social security. What potential, possible, theoretical, imaginary benefit could you possibly get out of more third world immigration? That's basically, and it's, a. It's why is that a terrible question to ask? I, I don't know. Why is it, like, suppose that people who are libertarians, a lot of whom get objectivism, why is it why is rational self-interest suddenly become the worst thing in the world <laughs> for, for people, right? I mean, what the hell do atheists have as ethics except for rational self-interest? And certainly objectivists and libertarians, rational self-interest is pretty key to the whole gig. Exactly. So if Donald Trump is saying to people is saying to people, what's in it for you? Think about your own rational self-interest rather than what's good for other people at your expense. It's basic egoism, and it's so funny that, that egoism, which was really the basis of the late Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the rights of man, individualism, this is all egoism. What's in it for me? Rational self-interest. And it's, it shows just how fucking far culture has fallen, that somebody out there saying, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't really, like, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And the fact that people are just screaming at this guy for basically bringing up the basic question, what's in it for me, for people, and that people are basically saying, there's nothing in it for me. In fact, what is there in it for me except bad things? That's a reasonable question to ask. And it is. It's just, you know, there,
2: there are times I, I, I sit down and listen to his speeches and I think if it was 1950, this guy would be seen as a moderate. He wouldn't even be seen as that much of an extremist. I mean, how far has our culture really gone off the rails? And how unaware have I been of it? You know, I'm relatively, I'm only about 26. I haven't lived to see all the changes that transpire in this country the past 50 years my dad has. He talks about it all the time. And I just feel like everyone's in this mass delusion. You know, I remember uh, we were going to one of his rallies in a, cedar rapids and there were people throwing stuff at us saying you know we are all muslim we are all together one religion everyone is a muslim And i think there's there's a guy who's cross-dressing there's a there's a gal who hasn't held a job in her life and i'm like are you guys out of your minds if these guys came over from the border they'd be hanging you and beheading you and then posting it on youtube
0: well of course you know the left is supposed to be all about female rights and is supposed to be all about homosexual rights and so on and yet is openly embracing an ideology that in very practical terms when it becomes dominant is significantly negative towards those groups not to mention minorities um so no i mean the, the left is the left is being revealed as just this endless scimitar hindu goddess hydra-headed thirst for power monster that will just say anything and do anything and scream anything and and throw epithets at everyone and they're going insane because it's not working in fact it's it's kind of going the opposite right that they are uh discrediting themselves they are um the gig is up
2: i mean bernie sanders terrifies me that man sends shivers down my spine every moment he comes up and speaks publicly and i look at all these people of my generation i'm like my God, what is going to happen to you when you're in your 30s and your 40s? Is this what we have to look forward to? I mean, we 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 got to fight every day and every waking moment to fight against this, or my country's gone. We're going to have Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau is going to come here.
0: Yeah, Justin Trudeau, uh, he ran on, uh, I'm going to limit uh, budgets and I'm going to legalize weed. And then after he got in, he found Canada had signed three international treaties forbidding it from legalizing weed. And uh, also, he's now just completely jacked up spending and has blown past all of his budget projections. So he's just another goofball, shaggy-haired cuck liar uh, who's just pillaging and, and raping the entire body politic. Uh, you know, the same bullshit. And nobody talks about it. Nobody can uh, say anything about it. Uh, but it's just the same dewy eyed liar that coughed up Clinton onto the American political landscape uh, bill that is not Hillary. So, um Yeah that's uh that's the way it goes and and when the when the host starts to wonder about what benefits him or her the parasite freaks out right right and a, a lot of your friends of course the great thing is when you can convince smart people to not have children the guardians of the future dissolve it's smart people the people who are case selected the people who can defer gratification the people who are intelligent enough and aware enough to look down through the tunnel of time, those are the people who guard the future of civilization, but they only do it fundamentally if they're going to have kids. If you're not going to have kids, what the hell do you care about what happens in 50 years?
2: As long as you produce some kids to support your lifestyle when mom and dad are dead and there's no one else. I mean, I no, l- No, no, They they
0: import the kids. Import the kids. Right, and they import the kids with the idea that you import... IQ 85 average third world or and suddenly you're going to have exactly the same as if Europeans came over. I mean, it's meant or, or you can have exactly the same as if the native population had and raised English speaking American value kids it's going to be identical, identical, I tell you. And I mean, it's madness. Of course, it's not right. And everybody knows that everybody knows. That. I mean, how many people on a dating site say, I really want someone who thinks I'm an unbeliever who should be put to death, doesn't speak my language and uh, holds cultural practices that i find abhorrent i mean that's just nobody looks for that on a dating site right i mean at least look for people who can speak your language right i mean that's, america's could be a little bit more picky and choosy about who she's uh, dating or, or bringing in or whatever but um no so you know the whole conversation um is, is around making sure that smart people don't don't breed right that's why oh overpopulation is a big problem. Oh yeah, well, I guess I'm concerned about overpopulation, so I guess I won't have kids. And people always say, "Well, I, there are so many kids who need adoption," and then never end up adopting. So you know, they're just getting smart people to know. Oh, the environment—you know—if you—if you have kids, you know, they're really gonna—they're gonna consume a lot. You know, they're gonna consume a lot of the environment, use up a lot of energy, and that's—it's really, bad for the environment. It's gonna be global warming; the temperature could go up a couple of degrees in a hundred years. So you—you know—and the people are like, "Oh, well, shit," you know, that's bad. But then you know. So they don't have kids, but then, you know, they bring in a million people from the Middle East into Germany. Do they not think that those people are also going to consume a lot more resources in Germany than they ever would have in the Middle East? That doesn't matter because it's all just about tickling the K response, making the K anxious, making the K nervous, making the K worry about the future so that they don't have kids. That's all because government power um, breaks up against the wall of the Ks. And, um for those who don't know what the hell I'm talking about, it's a Gene Wars presentation. Sorry, just, it's just one of these things that we talk about quite fluently here. But um, once you can convince the Ks not to have kids, then they don't fight against power. I mean, my dedication to what it is that I'm doing was strong before I had a daughter. And now it's like, yeah, there ain't going to be no Sharia where I'm standing.
2: No, I I, I hear you. You know, and, and sometimes there are some days I wake up and I think, I don't know. And I, I don't feel that it's the government that's really telling people this. It's people telling other people and subjugating other people to believe in this. It's like a cultural dogmatism. It's it's like church. It's like being in an evangelical fundamentalist Baptist church. The Pope, the the, the priest isn't telling everybody to do this. Everyone else is telling it, it it's self policing.
0: You know, it's it's a self yeah. You are, you don't have the freedom of speech in your atheist group not because the government's coming in and shutting you down but because they're just throwing their hands in their ears shouting la 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 and spitting at you right they are the fascists you understand right they this is what I mean when I say you've escaped they are the fascists because you have a perspective they don't like Mm -hmm. and instead of helping you by reasoning you all they're doing is giving you the atheist equivalent of damning you to hell exactly exactly You know, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia—whatever. That's just that's just the atheist or leftist version of hell. It exactly follows the religious lines: conform or be cast out. And the fact that these people would even remotely consider themselves rational thinkers—they're the kind of atheists I loathe, because they're not atheists because they have some significantly higher value than religion. They're atheists because God makes you get up early on Sundays and it's much more fun to sleep in. They're atheists because they don't want to actually have any standards that they're willing to fight for, that they're willing to put themselves on the line for, that they're willing to incur significant social disapproval from their peer group for. They're not atheists because of that. They're atheists because they don't want to have any standards that they have to stand by. They're not atheists, they're nihilists pretending that they're rejecting God when all they're doing is rejecting the responsibility, even the shadow responsibility that comes from believing in religion. If you believe in religion, religion, there's stuff you got to do and there's stuff you can't do. And they're nihilists. They throw out God because God has rules and they hate rules. And God has standards and they hate standards. And God has requirements and they hate requirements. And God will make you do things that are unpopular and they're too cool and they're too hip, you know, to do any kind of evangelizing. And they're certainly never going to go door to door with atheist pamphlets the way that the Jehovah's Witnesses do. They're just too cool for school. They're too uh, amazing and too hip. And like they're just eye-rolling nihilists that are just sucking the soul out of the planet. And, um, if I have to choose between religious people, the nihilists, uh, at least from the Christian side of things, uh, I will choose the Christian people every day of the week and twice on Sundays.
2: And yeah, I, I feel the same. The irony is I used to be a evangelical Christian until I left when I was 18. And what's going on with this group that kicked me out and I haven't been there for a couple of, it's actually been like a month and a half since I've gone back and I don't intend to go back but it's it's the same feeling I had when I left evangelicalism at around 1819 which was this feeling of you guys are in this utter delusion you don't even know what the delusion is and society is marching right past you it's 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 like it's th- those are the people who are voting for Ted Cruz right now the people who are virtually supporting Ted Cruz when I went to the caucus they were there in mass and I felt like I was at a Bible revival meeting. Like, you don't vote for Ted Cruz because of anything he said. You vote for Ted Cruz because your pastor and your peers told you to do it. And, it's, and I'm saying here, like, I'm, like, to hell with it. We're going to fight for Donald Trump. We're going to expand the party. We're going to bring back our culture. You know, to, to hell with all of it. If, if he loses, I try fighting at least. They're, you know,
0: I, I'm... Well, and, you know, for atheists in particular, Donald Trump is the least religious president that I can think of.
2: Besides Bernie Sanders, who may very well be an atheist, uh, he just doesn't want to come out publicly about it. I know he's Jewish, but I'm like, he's, he, I don't,
0: haven't seen anything, him do anything particularly Jewish, so. I don't know. Does he go to synagogue? Does he, I mean, what, I assume that he's. I,
2: I haven't done much research on his personal life because I, I can't get past his policies and his history without just wanting to upchuck a left lung. but, um, uh, you know. He, he honeymooned at the Soviet Union in 1988 with his wife, his current wife. He's been married twice. I know there's pictures of him protesting. I really don't know much about his personal history. Uh, he didn't hold a job until he was like 40. Uh, kind of like Karl Marx, kind of like the history of Karl Marx. It's, it's very, very interesting seeing the similarities between those two people.
0: Right. Okay, So, but certainly as far as conservatism goes, he's by far the least religious Conservative candidate, Donald Trump, that is. So, no, by, why? Conservative,
2: by conservative standards, he, is, he, he may go to church on Christmas, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weddings yeah. and funerals. Yeah. And f- I think that's and, just
0: to show off his wife.
2: Yeah, and weddings and funerals. Otherwise, he, he, he hasn't opened up a Bible in 40 years. I mean, no one's kidding himself. He goes and sees Pat Robertson, and I just laugh. I'm like, come on, seriously. No, but I, I, I think they're just blindsided. They're afraid of it. They're, they're, they're so afraid of it, they can't even come... You know, the Republican Party used to not be a party of just religious people and certain groups, you know, southern white people, etc. And now Donald Trump's expending the tent. He's making it, he's making secularism. He's kind of shoving it in a little bit, kind of subtly. Not too, obviously, but shoving it in a bit. And it's great. It's, it's the first Republican I can feel comfortable voting for in my entire life. And it's, it's great. You know, Mitt Romney was okay-ish. I will admit I voted for Obama which kind of makes me sacrilegious but I'm an independent I've always kind of tried to think <laughs> independently. You uh, why did you vote for Obama? Voted for Obama because I peer's pressured me into it. Peer pressure, tribalism. Uh
0: well Oh because if the kids hit the the candy dispenser at the certain spot they get they get a presidency. <laughs>
2: Well, it's just it, you, you kind of look at it when you when you when you leave evangelicalism and you go to the secular left, leftism overcomes you when you're in your younger years you know there's a quote that says you know when I, if you're not a liberal in your twenties, you have no heart and you're not a conservative in your thirties, you don't have a brain, which I think is true. I think that's true for a lot of my peers because um, I, I I shifted much more to the right after uh seeing the failures of Obamacare, seeing the failures of most of his policies, and, and just watching the Democratic Party just decide, hey, you know what? We didn't go left enough. Now the big question is, do we go more to the left, or do we go really to the left? Do we just completely shut off our brains, and welcome in every tyrannical idea on the face of the earth, because it's pathological altruism. I can put it on the bumper sticker of my car, and it makes me feel good. Never mind the fact that my taxes went up by 15%, and I can't even buy
0: food, so... Yeah, I mean, I used to be more of a fan of the Bush tax cuts until, of course, it dawned on me that uh, by removing, by, a lot of tax cuts went to the poor, which basically meant that the poor don't really pay that many taxes at all left in America, at least um, income taxes, which means that they can just vote for more and more and it doesn't hit them in the pocketbook. So uh, that's, um, that's not good.
2: No, it's it's not, and like I said, I I hated the Bush years, and so if you, when well, I was a kid growing up, hating the Bush years, I'm like, well, you're gonna vote for the guy who isn't Bush. Well, who's the least likely Bush? Well, it's this black guy with a weird last name. <laughs> I mean, it, it it it's so much stupider in hindsight than and the time when I was actually doing it. You know, you you look at it now, you're like, how the heck did I do that? It's kind of like a, a a bad date or um, a bad uh, a bad first night with somebody. You know, it's like
0: why? Well, am- except it goes on for eight years and leaves you with a an std indeed indeed
2: and and like i said I, I i should have there's a part of me that says i should have uh, endorsed ron paul more than i wanted to i was kind of on the fence about him
0: he, he wasn't he wasn't gonna i mean uh, he didn't have any traction as far as getting to the presidency.
2: no no but i i also believe that donald trump in essence he's a third party candidate and he's absurd the party he's told the party your era is over He's told the establishment it's over he's told the cruise people it's over. this is the new party he's he's, he's literally absurd libertarian ideas and just shoved it right into people 's faces and people don't even know what to make of it you know
0: uh, you know how in the world do yeah you- if he, if he get, it seems fairly likely he's going to get the nomination um, he has nothing to do with republicanism like he, he's not a Republican as far as like the party traditionalism goes uh, and it, I'm telling you that Donald Trump is people's last hope. For something like the Tea Party, because the Tea Party completely failed, and so um, yeah, the Tea Party failed, and this is the last chance for it to happen nicely. I don't know what that means exactly. This is the last chance for this to happen nicely, for for the government to be reined in, for the um, for the taxpayers to to have a say. Um, otherwise, they're just they're going to go galt. They're going to go on strike. Uh, the taxpayers need some relief. They are sick and tired of having their sexual market values scraped off them, like ice off a windshield in Canada. And they're sick and tired of it. And Trump, like people should be behind Trump because this is the last chance for anything that the people want, the, the, the sort of silent majority that rears up in America every generation or two. It is the last chance for these people to get what they want nicely. And uh, people should really look the the people who say they hate Trump, they hate the majority of Americans. At least those to the right of Bernie Sanders, which is not hard. They just they hate it. They 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 hate the majority of Americans and they hate what America stands for because Donald Trump is talking about a lot of what uh, the original uh, idea of America stood for. Right, right. So so they can say, well, I hate Donald Trump. It's okay. Well, then you just you hate the majority of of Americans uh, and you hate. The significant proportion of blacks and Hispanics who support him—it's not Trump. You, you hate all the people who support Trump, right? Uh, and that's fine. I mean, people can say I hate significant portions of the American population. That's fine. That's fine. No,
2: uh,
0: like I said, I I have a I have a very simple approach to all
2: this. It's like if you want, it's it's like gay marriage. If you want gay marriage legalized, fine. But don't bring it into my home and don't bring it upon my lifestyle. My, you know, I don't have a wife and kids, but I'm like, if I did have a wife and kids, I'd be like, you're gonna moderate in your society you know, bring it to a bare minimum on a mine. And there's this idea of no, 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 it's not enough. We gotta have police forces. We gotta have hate crime laws, thought crime laws, laws Oh
0: God. I mean why 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 gay people would want access to the fascistic Kafka Stalinesque style of American family court system is beyond me i mean wouldn't you be i mean i i think that most straight straight guys should say okay we'll trade you you take family court and we'll get out of marriage entirely uh, and that would probably be a good deal for a lot of the guys who've gone through the ringer in this area
2: right but you gotta know most libertarians have this type approach and uh, you know andrew Je- uh the vast majority of libertarians have this idea basically just everyone can be who they want to be as long as you don't tax the living crap out of me and don't shove the message in front of my face. I don't care what you do in the bedroom. I don't care what you do in private. I don't care what you do uh, Sunday on Sunday. I don't care if you go, you know, and have a polygamous marriage. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I have bills to pay. I have things to do. I have college to finish. I have a job to go to. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't care about Black Lives Matter. I don't care... About the fact that women are triggered by gosh knows what on every other day, you know, my ex girlfriend would get triggered by every th- by things I said six months ago. I'm like, I can't even remember what I said last week, let alone six months ago. You know, I just I just feel like people don't the, the real things, the real issues that are out there, people don't care. Nobody cares.
0: It's it's all well. It, no, it's I. It's not just that. I mean, the, the the left is is composed of a lot of people who don't do a whole lot of regular work right right and this is another reason why in the long run society can't survive with a state because one of the reasons why you can't fight the left is they've just it's just simple economics they have so much time on their hands and so much greater motivation to keep the gravy train going and you just you can't you can't fight them They've they've got time to organize. They've got time to go door to door. They've got time to do blog posts. They've got time to just do so many things that influence public decision-making. So they have much greater motivation to keep the gravy train going, and they have much more time, much more time, because, you know, people on the right are consumed with paying bills, having jobs, raising kids, taking care of elderly parents, and so on. It's just an imbalance of time, and that's always going to be the case. Once people get money, from the government then they don't have to go out and earn that money that they're getting from the government and everyone who's paying money to the government has to go out and work twice as hard to pay for themselves and for everyone else so the it's a transfer of time as much as it is a transfer of money every dollar that someone gets in a government program and i include the rich and the poor in this is a dollar they don't have to go out and work for and so that's a dollar of time that they have. And a dollar of incentive they have to go and try and get more government. I mean, if, if you've got a job and kids, you're lucky to find maybe half an hour a day for activism. But if you're, you know, sitting around on welfare, you know, if you've got kids, you've got six hours a day if you want, you know, uh, and you can put them in an after school program and get eight. And if you don't have kids, you got 16 hours a day as opposed to how you, you can't compete. You can't compete. If you've got a job and you've got kids, you, you, you can't can't compete with the people at this kind of time. It's like the ultimate evil plan. I wonder who thought it up. No, it's just, it's, it's the inevitable result of breaking with principle. That's all it is. You break with, break with the non-aggression principle, everything just flows from there. You know, way back in the day, if they'd said, well, wait a minute, government school is a violation of the non-aggression principle and is certainly not countenanced in the constitution. Right, the people say, "Ah, oh, you know, it's wrong. Constitution does not authorize Congress to force people to buy a service. That's why Obamacare is wrong." Hello, how about government schools? That's forcing people to buy a service, even if they don't have kids. How the f- how the hell do people reject Obamacare and not reject government schools at the same time? It's forcing you to buy a service you don't want and you probably hate, and if you have kids, you hate it twice as much. So anyway, um, if they'd gone back at the at the back of the day and. As Benjamin Franklin said about some early congressional thing to send a bunch of money to France for aid, he said, I can't quite lay my finger on that part of the Constitution that allows us to tax and send money overseas for our own personal preferences. I can't quite lay my finger on the part of the Constitution that lets us raise taxes to pay for public education. Well, they didn't have that fight then, and so we now had 150 years of indoctrination producing the kind of mouth-breathing fascistic overlords that currently kicked you out of their little fascist organization
2: and the parasites are panicking because the yeah because the 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 bears waking up and in essence the the where we've had it we've really had it there's there's a real sense of basically it's this or I don't know you know the, the common joke is if if such and such gets into uh, the presidency I'm going to move to Canada well I can't go to Canada I'm not going to go to Canada maybe some of these leftists have the time to go to Canada. And if they want to go to Canada, I say we will remove their citizenship in the process. Because the depressing reality pushes down on you so hard. But really, this is the most important election year of my life. Uh, we, we have to do something. We must do something. If we don't do anything, you know, it's, 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 it's third-term Obama, and it's it's, it's it's Bernie Sanders next, down in the next 20 years. You know, I might as well not work. I might as well not try to go finish college. I might as well, you know, not even try to have a family. There's, it, the, the world doesn't want me to succeed.
0: The world doesn't want people like me to succeed. The world I feel like I live in doesn't want. No, the world wants you to succeed so it can tax you. Like the farmer wants the cow to produce milk so he can sell the milk and sell the cow for meat. They want you to succeed. They're just making the circumstances impossible to, for you to succeed. I mean, the degree to which um, Atlas Shrugged is t- turning from science fiction to history uh, is uh, is really remarkable. I mean, this is a part of the genius of the woman that people simply often refuse to acknowledge that this is exactly the path and the way in which she expected things to go and foresaw things to go. And that's pretty cool. She wrote the book 60 plus years ago uh, and foreshadowed everything that was going out. She didn't get the minorities. There were a lot of Muslims in her books or whatever, but this is not that consequential. But yeah, Europe is going to go first and then North America is going to go and people are going to start going on strike. And they're already going on strike in terms of having kids. They're already going on strike in terms of not wanting to work in the business world uh, anymore. Um, they're, they're just going on strike, and um, so everyone's trying to jam in all these new cultures, which aren't going to work. And um, yeah, I mean, if 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 Trump doesn't get in, uh, or you know, if someone like him, if if there was someone else around, mm-hmm. then like if if the system is going to collapse. I don't know. Is it better to have someone from the right or someone from the left in? I don't know the answer to that. There's pluses and minuses to both. But um, I see them both as puppets. They're just both puppets of the same system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I do, you know, again, what I've always sort of said, I, I find interesting about Trump's candidacy is the degree to which he's calling out the media and the degree to which he is uh, revealing them to be the psychopathic scumbag liars that a lot of them are. And I think that's great because if we can have a reasonable conversation without doing what your atheist former friends did, which is just screaming people down and screaming at homonyms, if we can actually have a rational conversation, then there's hope for the future. And um, the media is constantly getting in the way of rational conversations and race baiting and class baiting and gender baiting and just – You know, they're just like that complete asshole at the party uh, who is whispering lies about everyone to everyone. Oh, do you know what so-and-so said to you? He called you a slut. And like they're just out there causing trouble and no one can have any civilized conversation because there's just so much noise and and crap coming out of the media. And um, I like the fact that Donald Trump takes that on um, and is really, I think, showing the bias in the media by not playing the game. And I think that's great. All right, man, I got to end the show because it's been, uh, it's coming on for four hours now. So I uh, really appreciate the call. I'm glad that you got out of that nest of atheist commie vipers. And um, I'm sorry that it came to that, but um, I'm glad that you saw the truth now rather than later. And make sure you put your energies towards their best use. Thanks a lot, everyone, for calling in. A great, great pleasure to chat with you as always. Uh, this is uh, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio reminding you, of course. We need your support, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Remember, it's a bit of a short month today, um, this month. So if you can help us out, that'd be great. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful evening and week. And uh, don't worry, we're getting the GMO conversation out soon, for those who are wondering. We're on it. Have a great night, everyone. Talk to you later.